If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey, everybody. Today, Rado talks through episode 30, which is going to be the big Essen Spiel 2017 blowout spectacular extravaganza, which means it's going to be X hours, I have no idea how many, of me talking, talking, talking about games at Essen. I've got a top 100 games to buy. I've got, and I don't know how many, I think 40 uh, expansions to check out and buy. And then I've got like another 20 or so games to demo. Um, this is going to be, we're going to be here for a while. So get comfy. Uh, although before I get going, uh, a few shout outs. One, Thank you to Eric Martin, the head news guy of Board Game Geek. Without him doing all of his work to call, pull together all the information about all the games that are launching at the show, what would this cottage industry of content creators do? Eric, we all owe you all of the fist bumps. Thank you for putting all this together because it means I can do my top 10, Dice Tower can do their top 10. Hey, and not only that, not only can video people, but like um, if, if you haven't heard of it, go check out tabletoptogether.com. They've got this awesome, awesome Essen tool that makes hitting the convention so much easier. And they pull all their data out of the main Essen uh, preview that Eric Martin maintains. But heck, if you don't want to use that, if you're, if you're just happy to be on Board Game Geek, go to the Board Game Geek Essen preview. That tool has gotten so good. It's slow, unfortunately, but it's really, really sharp. Um, does a lot of the stuff that the Tabletop Together tool does and um, you know a lot of other things beside. It is what I have been using to um, rank how I'm going to talk through all of these lists that we're about to do. Oh, and you know what? One more tool that uh, owes a big debt of gratitude to Eric, which I just discovered today, and it's so awesome. I've been playing around with it. I'll probably be playing around with it a lot more on the plane on the way to Essen. It's called Event Badger. You can find it on Android or Apple, Event Badger. This is a tool that you can put on your smartphone, and it has access to the same big database of all the games I'm about to talk about. And you can go in here on your smartphone and mark all the ones. You can rank them based on whether you want them, whether you're interested in them, whether you don't care about them. And then it auto-generates a map of the convention center showing you where all the games you want are um, by rank. It's really, really cool. Uh, I think this is the first time it's been available. The developer just put it out there. It's, uh, it seems to be pretty solid. I, it could use a lot more features. But man, I've been having fun. Um, and I definitely will be using this at the show. Um, what's it called again? Event Badger. So, just a little bit of inside info. One more bit before we get going, though, folks. Here's the way this is going to work. First, we do games to buy, 100 of them. Then we do um, uh, the, uh, the expansions, and then we do the demos. For all these lists, 
I have not ranked them all in terms of my own preference. I have sorted them based on the preference of Board Game Geek users who have used the preview tool and have marked things as must-have. So the things at the beginning of the list are the ones that some people have marked must-have and other people haven't. By the end, you've got hundreds and hundreds of people saying, committing to the fact that they will get these games. So I thought that was an interesting way to do it. Now, for the top 100, I'm going to do 90 that are listed this way, and then the top 10 are going to be my personal top 10. And I'll talk about that more when I get there. But then after that, the demos and the expansions are going to be based not on my personal preferences. I mean, they're the ones that I want to see, but they're going to be ranked based on Board Game Geek users. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? Then hold on, everybody. We're going to be right back. Okay, folks, here we go. Uh, Starting with number 100, and I have to admit, I'm not going to be numbering these as I go because the geek tool doesn't actually give them any kind of number, so I'll instantly lose track. But number 100 at the beginning of the list of games to seek out the show is called Guilds. It's from, I don't know how to pronounce the publisher, uh, D.V. Jochi, I think, or Jochi Unity, I think. Uh, some very, very nice folks, an Italian publisher. And uh, this game was actually at Essen Spiel last year, but only in demo form. Now you'll be able to get it. And it is basically set in a fantasy kingdom where players are competing to be the best guild they can. And there are two halves to the game. There's Every round, there's an auction to recruit all the new cool townsfolk that have special powers and they're worth victory points to come and join your particular guild. But, of course, the auction costs money. But if you don't blow all your money in that auction, the second half of the round is actually spending the remainder of it to buy upgrades and improvements for your guild, which is actually a little board you have. And over time, you make it a cooler, swanker place for all the people you're recruiting to come and hang out. It looks gorgeous. And I've actually read the rules. I haven't played it, but I've read the rules. And it sounds really solid with some nice little interesting gameplay elements as well. So I'm very, very interested. Hence, it's on the list. Number 100, Guilds. Then we move on to Wibble Plus Plus. And actually, I just did a run-through for this last week or maybe the week before. It's a sweet little deck of cards that have a bunch of letters on it. Each card has two letters. And the game comes with rules for, I get, five or six different styles of games you can play with this very uber-portable deck of letter cards. Most of the games are kind of like group activities or party game kind of things. But the reason I was interested and actually sought it out and have since done a run-through is because one of the games is a cooperative word-spelling game for two players that works really, really nicely. As it turns out, if you watch my run-through, I got a couple of rules wrong in there, but still, the run-through should give you a pretty good idea of what you get. This is an incredible I mean, value proposition. There is so much you can do. I'm really, really amazed. And the interesting thing is the designer of it is coming up with new cool games on the website devoted to this all the time. So Wibble Plus Plus, it's sharp, but you can check out my run-through for more. Then we move on to Iwanu, which is not spelled like you think. It's I-U-N-U, but my understanding is that's pronounced Iwanu. 
And you know what? I'm not going to bother spelling these things anymore. You can check the show notes of this very podcast if you don't know how to spell one of these games. Now, this is another one I did a run-through for a few months ago when um, it was first on Kickstarter? Was it on Kickstarter? I don't remember now. But it's now for sale at Essen, and it is a very cool ancient Egypt set collection um, hand management card game with some very cool gameplay features. Jen, I actually enjoyed this one quite a bit, and you can watch the run-through to see why for Iwanu, I-U-N-U. That's the last time I'm spelling anything. Then we move on to The King's Abbey. This is interesting. This game actually came out like a couple of years ago, and I did the run-through even longer ago, but it's listed here as the English Second Edition. And... I have to admit, I never really quite understand what qualifies as a brand new game at Essen, because supposedly this is supposed a list of all the new games that are launching at Essen. King's Abbey has been available for quite a while. This is just a launch of the second edition. But whatevs, if Eric Martin says it's on the list, it's on the list, and I'm not going to question it. And this is a very, very cool dice worker placement game where players are trying to build up the best abbey and surrounding grounds in medieval times. Jen, I very much enjoyed this. You can check out my run-through for more, and it might be worth seeking out if you like what you see, The King's Abbey. Now, we move on to yet another game I've done a run-through for. Man, this is probably going to be a pretty common refrain here, folks. But, um, you know, Jen, I know we love this one a lot. Thrashing Dice. And actually, interesting, this is, I guess, effectively a sequel to the game um, Thrash and Roll, which is a dice worker placement game where players are the manager of a of a heavy metal rock band or a thrash metal rock band. And Jen and I loved it. The gameplay, the dice worker placement in this game was so, so good, so well designed that we were able to do it in spite of our lack of interest in the subject matter. To my dying breath, I will still say that I wish that they would actually make this a little bit more... You know, Christoph, the designer, would branch out and give this more pop appeal by making it about pop bands or, you know, any kind of band you want, whether it's a country band or a rock and roll band or a thrash metal band or just a regular heavy metal band or, you know, whatever. But still... Theme aside, the gameplay of Thrash and Roll was fantastic. And now, so this is the sequel. And I guess it's kind of a re-implementation. Thrashing Dice, Assassin Edition. I think the core gameplay is the same, but some of the stuff has changed up. I don't know what. I don't care what. The, the original game was so great. I'm, I'm going in very, very confident that Thrashing Dice is going to be just as, if not more, excellent. Then we move on to, hey, a game I haven't covered, hooray, Karuba the Card Game, or Karuba das Kartenspiel. And strictly speaking, I kind of have covered this, because of course I did a run-through for the original Karuba, and now it's been uh, re-implemented in card game form. Now, Karuba was phenomenal. It was an absolutely excellent, excellent game. Jen and I enjoyed it quite a bit. And the only reason, I'll be honest, the only reason I got rid of Rudiger Dorn's wonderful little simultaneous action selection game, you can watch my run-through of Karuba to see what it's all about. Uh, players racing to get through the jungle fastest and um, you know find the most ancient temples and get treasures along the way. Neat, neat, fun game. Um, but I got rid of it solely because I'm out of 
shelf space and the box was too big it's a dumb reason but you know what when you've got 350 some games and you do not have room for any more sometimes you got to make tough decisions that's why i am so excited that it's coming back in card game form which means it's going to be in a tiny box hooray and i know exactly where it's going to go on my shelf i can see i've got a space for it right now cannot wait to pick up karuba the card game or karuba das kartenspiel all righty then we move on to another game I've covered, Quests of Valeria. It's I can't believe Quests of Valeria is only now coming out on the market. It seems like a million years ago I did the run-through for it when it was on Kickstarter. But this is a sharp little game, um, one of three different games in the Valeria trilogy, I suppose. And uh, again... I'm not going to belabor it too long because you can go watch my run-through. It's a beautiful game, sharp, fun, fast gameplay, and you'll be able to pick it up at the show along with several expansions as well, um, which, of course, I didn't talk about when I did the original run-through, but I'll talk more about expansions later. But anyway, Quests of Valeria will be at the show. Next up, yay, a game I haven't played, Pit Crew. I'm really interested in this because the designer, Jeff Engelstein, he has put out a series of really cleverly designed games that I would love to try, but he seems to have like some kind of weird aversion to making his games two-player compliant. They all require three or more players. Actually, that's not true. One of them played for two. And actually, he just put out another new one that played for two. But either they require three or more players, or they're really, really mean, you know, with a, with a lot of attack and take that and, you know, direct player conflict. Neither of those things work for me and Jen. So I've never really been able to spend any time in the worlds that Jeff is creating, even though he's so sharp. He's the guy on the Dice Tower podcast who, um, you know, does the segments about the technical side of game design. Really smart guy, fascinating stuff. And finally, he's put out a game that, as near as I can tell, will work well for two and doesn't require you to try to blow up your opponents. In this game, it's a real-time competitive game where players are running pit crews in a, uh, I don't know, a Daytona 500 type situation. And it's real-time, so when your car comes in, you've got to get its tires changed and its engines tuned up and, I don't know, its windows washed. Whatever the pit crews do, everybody's racing to do that as fast as possible. Jen and I, we very much enjoy real-time games. Most of them tend to be cooperative. I believe this is a competitive game, so I'm really interested to check it out. Pit crew. Next up, we have Edge of Humanity, a competitive deck builder which is a fantastic game. I've actually already got a copy of it, and I've played it, and my run-through for it will be going up tomorrow on Deck Builder Saturday, because that's when I put my Deck Builder videos up, usually. And uh, this is a very, very neat game. You'll be able to see my run-through soon. Suffice to say, it's a post-apocalypse, but you get to choose what apocalypse you want, and you get to choose where it happens. This might be the most thematic Deck Builder of all time. And while it's not a perfect game, there are a few issues with it. I mentioned in my final thoughts, Jen and I have definitely enjoyed our time with it. And one thing you won't know about um, from the Martin's, you know, Eric Martin's geek list uh, here, I've actually talked to the developers, and they are working on expansions for it that introduce cooperative play, which I am very, very, very excited about. Because if I had one real complaint about the base game, there's a little bit too much player interaction, i.e., 
shooting at each other and stealing cards from each other. As otherwise, it's a really, really phenomenal game. Lots of very clever, fresh, new, innovative ideas to deck builders, but just a little bit too much for gents in my taste. I'm sure most players wouldn't find it to be that way at all. So I'm very, very excited for the expansions. They'll turn into a pure co-op. That's Edge of Humanity. Moving on, we've got After the Virus. And this is an interesting one. This one, I have, nobody seems to be paying much attention to it, but I'm really surprised. This is from, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your name, Jacob. Uh, Jacob uh, Frixelius from Frix Games. This is the guy who last year set the world on fire with Terraforming Mars. This is his follow-up. This is his next game. It is a cooperative deck-building zombie apocalypse game after the zombie virus. Terraforming Mars, with very, very good reason, was a huge monster hit. Everybody loved it. It made a lot of people's top tens of the year. And so... and, And I thought it was a great game, too. It had a little bit too much take that in it, for Jen's in my taste, and also is maybe a little bit on the long side, but now he's following that up with a cooperative deck builder. So sign me up. Um, you know, that's probably going to tick all our boxes. And if it's as cool and fresh and compelling and compulsive as Terraforming Mars was, it's it's going to be great, right? I'm I'm really surprised this one doesn't seem to be getting a lot of attention. Um, you know, as evidenced by the fact that it's so low on the must-have list here. I mean, it would be very very high on my personal list. But like I said, I'm not. I, I couldn't take the time to rank all 90 of these games. I'm only ranking the final 10. But anyway, after the virus, very, very interested in this one. Then we move on to Villages of Valeria, uh, apparently the first edition. And again, I'm just shocked. This game is on the market, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, I know I've got my copy of it, but I got my Kickstarter. I would have assumed it's come out, but I guess maybe it's only now being launched for the first time. Anyway... All the Valeria games are great. I've done run-throughs for all the Valeria games, and all the Valeria games are going to be at Essen Spiel. So, um, and, uh, you know, people want it. It's, what? where are we now? We must be in the 80s at this point, I guess. Villages of Valeria. Then we move on to another game I have not played, again, from uh, DVGOchi. Sorry, I don't know how to pronounce your name, guys. It's called Origami. It is a card drafting game where all the card art is beautiful works of origami. And I believe the first player marker is an actual origami piece. Oh, wait. Yeah, it's a, it's a make-your-own origami. I almost want the game just so that I can craft my first player marker and make a beautiful piece of origami. That, in and of itself, is delightful. But, you know, it is a card drafting game. It's on the lighter side. I'm assuming it's going to be something along the same lines as a Sushi Go or something like that. And uh, if it's beautiful and it plays well, sign me up. I definitely want to check out Origami. And I want to make my own Origami, too. That's, that's so cool. But anyway, after that, we've got Rising 5, Runes of Astros. And once again, we're back to games I've already covered. I did a run-through for this last year when it was on Kickstarter. This is a very, very cool cooperative game of next-generation mastermind. I don't know. Are you a child of the 70s like me? Uh, Actually, I was born in 69. Um, If you are, you might remember playing a lot of Mastermind, which was a terrible competitive game, but how brilliant to turn it into a cooperative game. But how do you do that? By implementing a digital helper app who takes on the role of the Mastermind that the players are competing against. It's got gorgeous artwork from uh, Vincent Dutre, 
Really sharp gameplay, and uh, yeah, really, really nice stuff. And interestingly, apparently, the, the basic version is going to be there, and there's also going to be a, a limited edition collector art edition, although there are only 40 copies of those available, and apparently you could have reserved them. So chances are the 40 uh, limited edition collector arts are probably gone, but still, it's a sharp game. Check my run-through to find more. Oh, and also, the designers and Vincent Dutrade himself will be there to sign copies on Friday. All the more reason to get it. But... Forget about all that. That's all beside the point. Watch the run-through. Check out the gameplay. It was fun, Jen. I definitely enjoyed it. Moving on, we've got Dragon's Gate College, which is a kind of Harry Potter, Hogwarts-esque setting dice drafting game where players are trying to be the most successful in running their individual houses by teaching their students and placing them in jobs on adventuring teams that go out and do quests. I just put the run-through for up uh, earlier this week, and here's the interesting thing about this. As I mentioned in my run-through, I've got a conflict of interest here. I've actually played this game. Jen and I, we've played it, so I could do the run-through, but I'm not going to tell you what our final thoughts on it were, because if you go check out Dragon's Gate College at the NSKN booth at the show, you can actually pick up special... Dragon's Gate College glass pieces that are being sold with the game. So, like I said, I've got some conflict of interest, so I'm not going to... But again, my opinion shouldn't matter. Go check out the run-through for yourself and decide whether it looks like it's fun. Jen just walked up. I don't know why. You didn't tell him that I made the glass, and that's what your conflict Didn't I say that? No, you said glass pieces, blah, 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 blah. I'm pretty sure I said that Jen made the glass pieces. Anyway, um... I, you, you folks tell me. I, th I think Jen was only listening to me with one ear. But anyway. I was in the other room. Um, right. So, and, and to be fair, you can get Jen's glass pieces uh, at the NSK in, in booth separate from Dragon's Gate College. Uh, we just put a video up about that yesterday on the channel. Suffice to say, uh, um, I am... I'm listing it as a game of interest for the show. Obviously, I have an interest in it, but take that with a grain of salt because the more of them sell, the more money I personally make. Um, but like I said, dice drafting, Harry Potter's type environment, check out the run-through or check out the game at the show and stop by and say hi to Jen because she'll be right there selling her glass. Anyway, that was Dragon's Gate College. After that, we've got Carthago, Merchants and Guilds, which is a sequel. It's interesting. Uh, Board Game Geek has this wrong. Board Game Geek says it's re-implementing Porto Carthago. That is incorrect. This is a sequel to Carthago, and I know because I've played it. I'll be getting the run-through film this weekend in time so that if you're interested in this game, you'll be able to see a run-through of it before the show starts. But... Folks, I've played it, and Burned Eisenstein has done it again. This is a sharp, sharp game. Uh, actually, he co-designed it with Ralph uh, uh, Birnett. And uh, definitely an enjoyable game. Multi-use cards, trading in the uh, era of antiquities, Mediterranean, multiple paths to victory, engine building. It's got a lot of stuff going on. Really, really fun. And watch for the run-through soon for Carthago, Merchants, and Guilds. And then after that, 
Nations the Dice Game, which I know has been out for a couple of years now, because um, I got it two years ago at Essen Spiel. But apparently it's on the list because the German first edition is finally come out. Although, I mean, the game is language independent. I don't think it needed a German specific edition, but whatevs, it's a fantastic game. And in fact, more importantly, it's getting an expansion. Uh, finally, the Unrest expansion is coming out. That's in my. Uh, it's not my number one expansion. Well, I'll talk about expansions later. But anyway, Nations of the Dice game is going to be available once again at Essen, folks. But for the first time, Alf Deutsch. And I know I've got some German listeners, so seek it out if you like fast, fun, um, almost filler-level dice-chucking nation-building games, civilization-building games. After that, ooh, this one breaks my heart, folks. It's Escape Room the Game. Virtual reality. Now, uh, Escape Room Das Spiel is a series of escape rooms in a box that I think have been around for a year or so now. And the interesting thing about them is, uh, uh, you know, they uh, that you, know, you up till now you've been able to, I think, optionally download a digital app to help you. It works as a timer as you try to work through, you know, the the physical escape room stuff that that comes in the box. I haven't played any of those. I haven't even sought them out because. Well, one, they're in German, or at least I assume they're in German, since they are Escape Room Das Spiel, as opposed to Escape Room the Game. And also, they all said that they required three-player minimum, so I just kind of ignored them. But this new one, the latest in the series, really grabbed my attention for a couple of reasons. One, it's two-player, and two, it's a virtual reality game. Using the same basic system as, oh, what's it called? Google Cardboard, where you can make this really cool little... You, you, you can turn your smartphone into a, a virtual reality device, and um, but it, it's, it's a really good one where you see things in kind of faux 3D and all that kind of stuff. If you've ever looked into Google Cardboard, it's like that. And so the game comes with a Google Cardboard you know, a, a escape room themed Google Cardboard thing that you and you download the app for your phone, and it's doing escape room stuff. And you've seen me run through Deckscape and Unlock and Exit the Game series. Jen, I we've really been enjoying these escape room at homes. I'm really super stoked for this though because you're whisked away to a virtual escape room through your smartphone. I don't know how it's going to work. I'm really excited about it, though. And let me tell you why it breaks my heart. The publisher actually sent me a copy. It's sitting right there on the table. I've had it for a week. I wanted to get it played and do a run-through before the can- before Essen starts, so you know folks can know what it's like. But here's the problem. The app doesn't work. Uh, when I first got it here, I got a message saying, um, sorry, you cannot download the app in your country. And I called them and sorry, I wrote them and said, they won't let me download it. And so they got it released, so now it's available to download in Malta. But now it says that I've got the app to run, and I can use it as a timer for any of the other games in the series, but the virtual reality game that I've got here is grayed out. It won't let me choose it. I can only assume because the game hasn't officially been released yet. So it's driving me nuts. I want to play this so bad. I've got it right there. And I can't play it. Sorry, folks. Fingers crossed they'll figure out what they need to do. Just uh, you know, send me... I mean, I, I've, I've emailed them several times, showed them, hey, here's what the app is doing. Please fix this for me. I guess this is... Uh, ironically, this is... Um, 
uh, you know, ammunition for folks who say apps and board games are terrible. And I still say the nay. I've just got an early version of the game. I'm sure this is going to be really, really cool. I want to do an escape room via virtual reality. I'm very, very excited to check out uh, escape room Spiel virtual reality. But now let's move on to yet another game I've already done a run through for when it was on Kickstarter, Enchanters. This was a really, really wonderfully charming uh, fantasy adventure card drafting game. Jen and I enjoyed this a lot. Really, really good. Uh, We got an early Polish edition. The English first edition, and I assume the Polish second edition? I'm not quite sure. Just says the English first edition is going to be available at SNSP Spiel. Although, the game is pretty much language independent. Actually, no, that's not entirely true. Anyway, what am I talking about? Go watch my run-through. You can see just how fun it is. Super-duper sharp. The closest thing I could call it would be a fantasy version of Morels, if you've ever played that. And uh, and that is a really, really cool thing, folks. So Enchanters is an excellent game. I'm excited for it. 32 people have listed as must-have. Looks like we're about a quarter of the way through the list now. Let's continue with Rescue Polar Bears Data and Temperature. This one... I hesitated putting this on the list because I don't really know anything about the gameplay. And normally, if I put it on the list, I want to be relatively confident the gameplay is going to be good. Don't get me wrong. I have no idea, no reason to think the gameplay is not going to be good. I just don't really know anything about it. Here's what I do know about the game. It looks gorgeous. It has this really great um, graphic design. And the uh, polar bear pieces look ridiculously adorable, like so incredibly cute. Uh, so I, I knew uh, it has an amazing table present. I'm just looking at the pictures of it, and I know that's the case. That's kind of what's drawing me in. The other thing that's drawing me in is, as cute and charming and whimsical as it is, it's a I was about to say a heavy game. I don't mean in terms of gameplay, but in terms of subject matter, because this is a game where players are actually scientists trying to measure the data and temperature. That's why it's called Rescue Polar Bears, data and temperature. We are trying to gather information to make a compelling enough argument to change the minds of certain governments um, around the world to try to stop the spread of climate change, the dangers of climate change. And so we're actively trying to rescue these polar bears, but I mean, not by fighting monsters or anything, but by doing science and try. And I guess, I don't know if we're engaging in politics or not. I don't know much about this, but I really respect the game. I, I think it's very, very noble that they are trying to put this front and center. Um, and while still, interestingly, making it crazily, wonderfully attractive to a broad audience, which I can only assume means they're doing this on purpose to try... I mean, this is a message game. Make no mistake about it. It's a message I believe in, and I really want to give it a try because I respect... There's, it seems like there are noble intentions behind this game. Now, whether the game is fun or not, I have no idea. It's a co-op. We're trying to save the most cute, cuddly, adorable polar bear pieces you've ever seen, but there is a, uh, a deeper side to this as well. And so I'm really, really interested in learning more about Rescue Polar Bears, Data, and Temperature. After that, we've got My Story, which is a deck-building game. This is another one of those games where you are, over the course of it, trying to live the best life possible, like Pursuit of Happiness, like CV. 
I love this theme in games, and so I am always interested in another title. This one from Taiwan, interestingly. And the, the Chinese English first edition is going to be there. I, I love deck builders, and I haven't played a straight up deck builder with this particular subject matter. So, but I can certainly see how it makes perfect sense. You know, the deck is your life. As it gets bigger and fatter, it represents a life well lived. As you, I, I, it, it, sh, it could be great. I don't know anything about it, um, but I have high, high hopes because it, it should be good. My story. After that, uh, Bali is a game I should be having a run-through, or not a run-through, a talk-through for this up in time for the show. In the next few days, you should be saying it. Bali is from White Goblin Games, and it is a re-implementation of a Cosmos game that came out a few years ago, several years ago, uh, called Rapa Nui. And I did a run-through for this game years ago. I think it's like a seven- or eight-year-old game. I did a run-through for it three or four years ago. It's been out of print forever. And it's a really, really sharp, sharp card-drafting game with a lot of neat stuff. You know, it did the... The pyramid of cards that you pull from to reveal stuff years before Seven Wonders Duel did. And, uh, you can, and, and basically, so it's finally coming out. It's been rethemed to not be on Easter Island, but now to be on Bali. But the gameplay is exactly the same. They've added a couple of cool little extra variants that weren't in the original game. And if you never got a chance to check out Rapa Nui, you finally get a chance now with Bali. It was a great game. Watch my original run-through or watch my talk-through where I show what's new. Should be out in a couple days. In time for the show, definitely. After that, we've got Unicornus Knights. And again, this is another one that's been out for a while. And the English version of it was available last year at Essen. But it has now been picked up by AEG. It was a game you know, originally published in Asia. And so AEG has done, I guess... And overall, I think it has the same art. It's the same basic gameplay. That I, presumably, they probably just cleaned up the translations, maybe redone the rules. I don't really know. But I've been interested in this game for a long time. It is a cooperative game where players are the advisors to the young princess who is trying to reclaim her throne. And she is literally... You know, um, you know, hell bent for leather, driving fast across the board, trying to get to the castle to, um, you know, uh, you know, defeat her usurper. And she's not necessarily the most tactically wise. She's incredibly brave, but a little foolhardy. And it's our job to try to run interference for her and influence her enough that she avoids the stuff she can't take out and um, runs towards the stuff she can take out so she can make it to the castle. I love the idea of this. It sounds like a real fresh, interesting, different uh, cooperative game. I've heard good things about it because it's been out for a while, but the English-only first edition from AEG is coming out, so I'm definitely looking forward to uh, Unicornus Knights. After this, we have another game I did a run-through for several years ago, but the German first edition is finally coming out. Uh, It is called Boomerbahn, but originally, in English, it was called Isle of Trains, which if you say it just right, sounds like I Love Trains. But it was Isle of Trains, Isle of Trains, a neat little, very tiny single deck of cards, almost a micro game engine builder uh, about you know developing trains and delivering goods, is finally coming out, Auf Deutsch, with Boomerbahn. Okay, after this, we've got Vengeance. Another one I did a run-through for it when it was on Kickstarter. This is a really interesting game because it basically is a uh, it's a dice chucking not 
it, it, it's not a Yahtzee-style dice game. It does things very, very differently. But at first glance, it kind of has that same feel. You're rolling specialized dice and re-rolling them up to three times, and the dice indicate what actions you can do as you are trying to make it through a bad guy's lair and defeat the big boss, you know, fighting off waves of bad guys. This is kind of Kill Bill the board game, or Payback the board game, or um, you know, any number, uh, or, you know, uh, uh, the Equalizer, the board game, because you, as a player, were wronged by this gang, and now you're trying to you know, exact your vengeance. Half of the game is the actual action phase where you're you know, going to the bad guys' hideouts and fighting a bunch of guys, doing a lot of dice rolling, and that stuff is really, really cool. The other half is a montage where you're getting stronger, you're training, you are um, seeking information about where the big boss is that you're trying to take out. It was a really, really sharp game. I very much enjoyed it. The problem with it was, for us, Jen did not care for the subject matter at all. There is no way Jen would ever enjoy Charles Bronson's Death Wish. Um, nor would she enjoy, um, oh, what do you call it, uh, Kill Bill or John Wick. You know, this could, you can consider this to be John Wick, the board game, as well. Because there's this wonderful history of revenge films. Um, you know, uh, very, very popular. Jen doesn't like those, so she didn't care for the subject matter either. The reason I'm still interested in it, because when I played this, it wasn't available yet, but the game, um, the developer, who, by the way, full disclosure, is a friend of mine in real life, Uh, he lives here in Malta, he was also developing a solo version of the game that introduced a lot more strong storytelling, and I've always wanted to check that out. I think the game should work phenomenally well as a solo, and then if it adds all this extra storytelling on top, well, that's really interesting to me. Um... And although even because, heck, it's the only way I would ever get to play the game because Jen won't want to play it with me. And so that's why Vengeance is on my list. After that, we've got Flick'em Up, Dead of Winter. And I've actually played Flick'em Up a few years ago, you know, which is a very, very popular American Old West shoot 'em up. Cowboys versus, you know, white hat cowboys versus bad hat cowboys as you flick discs around to represent shooting guns in an old west, you know, shoot out the OK Corral type thing. That's what Flick'em Up is. I played it, honestly, did not enjoy it. I thought it was a bit overwrought, it went too long, it was a bit too simplistic for my taste, and I was thinking the whole time, I'd rather be playing Catacombs right now, which I've done a run through for. So, why am I interested in Flick'em Up Den of Witter? It's not necessarily the subject matter, although I I do find that interesting, zombie apocalypse. What is really interesting is about half the missions that come with this game are fully cooperative. And I have been jonesing for a co-op disc-flicking game forever! I mean, we love Catacombs. We really enjoy... Um, oh, what's it called? Rampage. Uh, I did a run-through not too long ago for... Um, Jam Sumo. We like flicking games, but they're always competitive. Jen and I, we don't want to beat each other up. We want to have some common enemy to flick discs at together. And in this game, it gives it with zombies. So while half of the game, I expect I have zero interest in because half of it is still competitive, I'm really excited to try all the cooperative missions here. And I really hope that the publisher, Pretzel Games, realizes they're onto something special. Who cares about the competitive stuff? Let everybody else do that. Give us more cooperative flicking content, folks. That's exciting. That's the future. That's what Flick'em Up Dead of Winter has to offer. Uh, This would actually be quite a bit higher on my list. But again, this is not my categorization or rankings. 
Next up, the folks going to Essen are very, very stoked for Exodus Fleet, with good reason. I've done a run-through for it. I just put it up this morning, actually. Is that right? Yes, it just went live this morning. This is a very, very cool uh, economic auction game where players are trying to save humanity because humanity has got to get off Earth. Earth will not support us anymore, and so players are trying to build up the best Exodus fleet by harvesting resources from alien worlds and um, engaging in auctions to get the best, most well-suited workforces to build more ships, which give you more powers, which gives you more storage space to get more resources off these planets to be able to build more ships and hire more crew, etc., etc. All of this with the goal of saving humanity. A great laudable storyline, and the gameplay is really solid. Check out the run-through for more Exodus Fleet. Uh, Next up... Import-export, which I will once again have a run-through up. I hope to have it by Monday, Tuesday at the latest, but you will be able to see the run-through before the show. Uh, Jen and I have played it. We've enjoyed it a lot. This is basically, my understanding is, a melding of the gameplay of Glory to Rome and Container. Now, I have never played Container. Don't know anything about it. But I know this definitely takes the theme because... Rather than trying to rebuild the glory of Rome, which is what you do in Glory to Rome, the hardest, most rare, difficult, out-of-print, modern designer card game on the market, it's something everybody wants to play, nobody can, because it's been in um, you know rights litigation. I, I, I'm not, I don't know what the story is there. Long story short, it's a brilliant game, Glory to Rome. You can check out my run-through to see why. It's impossible to get, almost impossible to get without paying ridiculous prices, because it's been out of print forever. Import-export takes a lot of the gameplay, not all of the gameplay, and melds it, my understanding is, with gameplay taken from container and the theme of container. Now, we are running a shipping company, shipping containers of goods, all kinds of goods, consumer goods, electronic goods, illegal goods, all kinds of stuff all around the world. Using the same basic, I choose an action and everybody else follows me structure, and all the tucking and splaying of cards that you get in Glory to Rome, but in a totally new setting with several significant changes, tweaks, and enhancements to the Glory to Rome gameplay, like the introduction of auctions, um, the uh, much stricter building requirements than what you see, and it's great. Glory to Rome is great. This is great. It has an absolutely bonkers, insane amount of replay value because it comes with a hundred unique cards. You'll only see a fraction of them every time you play. So every time you play, you're gonna. Um, it's gonna evolve in interesting, unexpected ways, just like Glory to Rome. So, folks. If you've been waiting for years to get Glory to Rome and you tried Matainai and that's nice, but it wasn't quite it. You've tried the other ones. Uh, I can't remember the names of them now. I want to say Uchronia. Is that right? Uchronia? But anyway, import-export has come the closest to capturing the pure awesome in a box of Glory to Rome while still being its own game. It's really sharp. Watch for my run-through in the next few days. Import-export. After that, we've got Fantasy Defense, a cooperative um, tower defense-ish style 
a, you know, a high fantasy game. I did a run through this one. It was on Kickstarter a few months ago. Jen and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think what I enjoyed most about it is this is not your standard cooperative game where, okay, let's just have some random seeds that decide what the game is going to be like as we just try to um, you know, deal with you know, an endless wave of problems like, say, Ghost Story or something like that. In this game, they went the extra mile and created a multi-chapter campaign that you will play through. And new elements get introduced game after game after game. I'm loving this. You may remember last year, I was so excited to see uh, a little engine builder like Royal Goods or Oh My Goods get an expansion that introduced campaign story-driven play into a Euro game. This is a Euro-style cooperative game that has campaign play as well. This is popping up all over the place. I'm super excited about it. And besides all that, Fantasy Defense was just a really solid, fun game. Watch my run-through to see why. Uh, and oh, also, I should say, two-player only, uh, or you could play it solo as well. And, uh, you know, and, and a great solo, great two-player game, great cooperative game, great campaign game, Fantasy Defense. After that, we've got Space Race, the card game. I did a run-through for this when it was on Kickstarter. The English first edition is going to be available for sale. And um, I believe you'll be able to demo the expansion, which is going on Kickstarter in November. Although I'll talk about demos later. This is an excellent alternative... If you're a fan of Race for the Galaxy, but you've, d- you've always thought, man, why can't I play Race for the Galaxy set in the real world space race that went on you know, between you know, the, the world powers in, you know, in our world in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s? Um, that's what this game gives you. Don't get me wrong. It's a very, very different playing game. The mechanisms are really unique, but it still has that same kind of pick an action, build your engine, get your tableau full of stuff so you can activate all the cards. Really sharp, great presentation, really love the art style. The only complaint we had for it when it was on Kickstarter was, I wasn't bothered, but Jen really hated the iconography. Kind of much like Race for the Galaxy, which is famous for its iconography that is really, really problematic. My understanding is that other people had a problem with it too, and they did revisit it. And in theory, they they uh, cleaned it up and made it more user-friendly. So I am very, very interested in checking out the, you know, the final end result of that, because the gameplay was great. If the iconography can get straightened out, Space Race, the card game, is definitely one to look for, in my opinion. But check the run-through to find more. Okay, uh, next up, we've got The Master's Trials Wrath of Magmaroth. This is... This is going to get a drink of water. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. I'm not even halfway through this, folks. Jeepers creepers. Uh, Anyway... Uh, Master's Trials, Wrath of Margoth, is a cooperative re-implementation of a game that came out a few years ago called Dice City. From, um, from Artipia Games, and now Artipia and Alderac are co-publishing the sequel, I guess. But it's, I don't know if it's set in the same world, not really. Um, Dice City, you can go back and watch my original run-through, was a very, very cool game where you've got this grid, your own private grid of cards that you're building up over time that represent your cities, and every round you roll dice that tell you which buildings you get to activate in your city. So you're building your city knowing um, what the strengths and limits are of the dice you might roll. It was really, really sharp, and the only thing I didn't like, it actually got an expansion, if I recall correctly, too. Our only problem with it was... 
there were a, an, a reasonable number of cards in the game that featured, oh, I can shut down your city, or I can temporarily destroy your buildings, and they're like, okay, fine. Don't care how good it is, not for us. Too bad, so sad, moving on. And now here we are a few years later, it's got its new re-implementation, the Master's Trials, that has the same basic, excellent gameplay. Really, really fun, compulsive, dice-driven gameplay, but now turns it into a cooperative game where, where instead of making a grid that represents your city, it's a grid that represents your fantasy adventuring hero. And instead, and you're putting cards into the grid, but instead of them representing a blacksmith or you know a, a you know a market stall or whatever, it represents weapons or armor or special skills and stuff like that. And then you still got to roll the dice to see what you activate on your character as you fight cooperatively with all the other characters who are being built up on their own grids to defeat some common foe. That is awesome. This, folks just barely missed my top 10. This would be right up at the top of the list if I could get it. Now, here's another thing as well. Cross your fingers. Hope, hope, hope. They have actually sent me a pre-production copy of it. It's been snagged up and snarled up in international shipping snafus, which always happens. It might get here in time. If it shows up today or tomorrow, Jen and I can play it this weekend, get it filmed on Monday, in time for the show. I don't know if it's going to make it. If it doesn't get here till Monday, I won't have enough time. But fingers crossed, in the next few days, you'll be seeing a run-through for me for Master's Trials, The Wrath of Magmaroth. But you know what, folks? I don't care. This is something I would seek out and want to get anyway, because... Dice City was great. This fixes my only problem with Dice City, and at the same time, makes it cooler and more exciting. Yeah, baby. But let's move on to Scott Pilgrim's Precious Little Card Game from Renegade Games. And, you know, Renegade Games, they can seem to do no wrong. Even when I play one of their games and it turns out, Jen, I don't like it for whatever reason, I can still appreciate and recognize just how sharp a game it is. They are showing great decision-making process in the games they decide to publish uh, because they keep putting out great game after great game. So that reason alone, I am interested in this game. Now, I have not read the original comic books. I, I know a little bit about them. I've seen the art. I understand what they are. I've seen the movie. I very much enjoyed the movie, but this is more true to the comics than the movie. It's a deck-building game where all the cards are two-sided, and I guess... Depending on whether you play side A or side B determines how it is that young Scott Pilgrim is dealing with life. And this represents the two halves of the comic book. I don't really know. I don't need to know. It's got Renegade's name on the box, so I'm interested. I'm there for Scott Pilgrim's precious little card game. But it sounds pretty cool, too. Two-sided cards in a deck builder? That sounds pretty neat. Anyway, though, let's move on to yet another... I don't understand why this is on the list, Eric, but I will not question your wisdom. Paperback, the English 3rd edition, is going to be at Essen. Now, honestly, I don't think that's that big a deal, because Paperback's been available in English for a few years now. And you can watch my run-through to see why it is so amazing. Why it made my top 10 must-haves games. You know, my, my Desert Islands list, this thing made the list. It's a great, 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 great game. And honestly, I think the reason it's on Eric's list is not for the English 3rd edition, but for the German 1st edition, which I think is getting rolled out 
right around this time. So that is actually very, very exciting. Um, you know, I, I'm very, very happy for any of my German listeners who will finally get to experience just how awesome paperback is. Um, but anyway, let's move on to Pioneer Days from Tasty Mistral Games. I did a run-through for this uh Last week? This week? I don't remember. Man, this month has been absolutely... The last 30 days, the 30 days before Essence Spiel are just a nightmare for me. So many games to play, so many games to film with this hard deadline of the show. But I did get Pioneer Gaze Days done, and it is a fantastic, fantastic dice drafting game from one of the co-designers of Elysium. Great stuff. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this makes some people's top 10 of the year. Uh, um, for us, it was a little bit too cutthroat in the drafting, which is weird because drafting all is always cutthroat, especially in two player. But most of the time, Jen and I are fairly cool with it. This one, it was just a little bit too. Sorry, I don't want to have to take this, honey. I know it ruins all your plans, but that aside, the gameplay is so good. Dice drafting in the American West, it's kind of an Oregon Trail s game where there's the constant threat of disasters that will befall our pioneers who are just trying to score as many points by going as west as possible. And the interesting thing is the the disasters that will hit are as a direct result of the choices players make. Because after we're done drafting all the dice of a given round, one die is left over, and that die determines which disaster is getting closer. So when a disaster hits, the players have no one to blame but themselves. And so they better be preparing for it. Super sharp game. Really, really crackerjack pioneer days. After that, we've got Paper Tales, another one that hopefully I'll be getting a run through for in just under the wire. Should be getting it done pretty soon, hopefully this weekend, maybe Monday. I don't know. Time is running out, but this is a really, really cool game. Um, it's called Paper Tales because the art style looks kind of like construction cardboard paper art. You know, kind of like the kind you would make in kindergarten as a little kid. You cut up all the cardboard into pieces and you glue, you paste them all together to make art. It's a, don't be fooled. It's uh, that may not be the best description. It's really pretty looking, but a very unique look. <clears throat> but more important than that is uh, it is a very, very sharp um, card drafting game. You know, card drafting like Seven Wonders or, um, you know, Among the Stars or whatnot. And, uh, uh, you know, so you're drafting to get cards that you add to your kingdom. And the main thrust of it is... Well, it's basically like taking one element of Seven Wonders, the combat element, where you're trying to get a, where you're drafting cards to get a bigger combat value than your neighbors, so you score points and they don't. Uh, that's the crux of the game, but they add so much stuff on top of that. It's an incredibly clever game. I think the thing I like most is after you draft your cards and you get them into play and you use them to score points and whatnot, your cards eventually will grow old and die. Um, so this is a generational game, and you have to be planning for that and be ready for the next generation of heroes for your kingdom. Really neat stuff. Very, very fun. Watch for it soon. Paper Tales. And check it out at um, Essence Spiel. This one would be very, very high on my list. After that, we've gone on to Amon Ray the Card Game. Amon Ray is one of those modern classics from designer Reiner Knizia. And I don't know anything about Amon Ray other than it is very well loved and very well respected and very much a three-player minimum game. So I, I, it's set in ancient antiquities, Egypt, and you need three players, so I've never even bothered looking at it. 
Almond Ray the card game is now coming out, and it works with two. And considering how fantastic Medici the card game took Medici, which was originally a three-player minimum game, kept the spirit of it, but rejigged it and turned it into a card game and made it work brilliantly with two. I was so blown away by Medici the card game that I have very, very high hopes for Almond Ray the card game, which is why it's on my list. But now let's move on to another game I've covered. You can check out the run-through for CV Pocket, which is a little micro-game card-drafting version of CV. I talked earlier uh, about Life Story, about how much I love the theme uh, in board games of, hey, let's just try to live the best life possible. That's what CV Pocket does in an incredibly tiny deck of cards in a very, very fast 20 minutes or less Fun, fun card drafting gameplay. Check out the run-through to see why CV Pocket. And don't worry, folks. I understand it. The sexting card that single-handedly made the game family-friendly, which was just crazy, they fixed that. It's been changed into something else, so it's very much a family-friendly game now, too. Hooray for CV Pocket. Okay. After that, we've got another game I've covered, and... I guess this must be another one that's been available for quite a while, but it's just making its German debut. So that's why The Captain is Dead English 2nd Edition is here on the list. You can check out my run-through. This is basically Star Trek, the original series, the cooperative game, and that's awesome. It is a wonderful game, maybe just a little bit too long. I'd like if it if the game were just a little bit shorter in play length. But that's a minor complaint. There is so much replayability in this game. It's so much fun. And if you are a Star Trek, forget about the original series. If you're a next-gen fan or a a Discovery fan, um, I know there's some of you out there, hey, I'm loving it. Oh, my gosh, I'm loving new Trek. But anyway, and and I love original series Trek. Uh, Trek can be more than one thing, people. It doesn't have to be the same thing. All right, sorry. I should save that for a Q&A at some point in the future. Um, if anybody asks what Jen I think of Trek Discovery. But anyway, The Captain is Dead. Great, fun, lovely, charming, well-produced little cooperative game for all the Star Trek fans out there. All right, after that, we go on to another game I've covered. Deadline, which is an interesting film noir hard-boiled detective trying to solve a case-style game where uh, players are working cooperatively. And this is kind of like a light, quicker version of Sherlock Holmes. You can solve the case in in an hour instead of four hours. And um, but you but it's still an interesting case trying to figure out where to go. Uh, you know what what's the motive of the killer? Who was the killer? Look out for the red herrings, all that kind of stuff. But it's basically as I said in my original run through, which you can check out. So why am I even talking about it? My run through, I said it's Sherlock Holmes consulting detective crossed with the grizzled. It takes the cooperative imperfect information. I don't know what you can play. I don't know what you're going to play, but I'm going to play this and I'm going to hope you intuit what I would like you to play next. Cooperative style puzzly gameplay, but instead of being set in the trenches of World War I, it's set in um, hard-boiled film noir detective solving murder cases. It's a neat, neat game. Really clever. Um, pretty unique combination of stuff. Watch my run through to find out why. And it's English first edition is going to be there. Deadline. After that, we've got 
Flatline, a Fuse Aftershock game. This is another game from Renegade, so you already knew it was going to be good. It's a sequel to Fuse, which I think is in my top 10 co-op games of all time now. I think Fuse is. And Flatline is another excellent real-time cooperative science fiction game. Uh, this is one where it's set on the sick bay of a starship, and players are racing against the clock to try to save lives before the whole ship blows up. Neat setting, neat components, really cool dice. Fun gameplay, flatline, a fuse aftershock game. After this, this one, this is tied for number 11 on my list. This is another one that it broke my heart not to be able to put it into my top 10. It's only in the middle of the pack for the uh, the horde of folks who are going to Essen, they're missing something. This should be on the top of everybody's list, folks. Reworld. This is the latest. Um, this is uh, excuse me. This is the latest Euro from Michael Kiesling and Wolfgram Kramer. Kiesling and Kramer working together again. Love their stuff. They when they get together, they make beautiful, elegant Euro gold. And this is. Maybe their most thematic one they've ever done, because this is another one where we're trying to build a fleet of spaceships. Uh, I talked earlier about um, you know Exodus Fleet. This is Reworld, once again, trying to get humanity out into the stars, but radically different gameplay. What is the gameplay? I don't know. I don't care. I have never been disappointed by Kramer and Kiesling. Actually, that's not true. Asara was not a very good two-player game. But other than Asara, I have never been disappointed by Kramer and Kiesling, so I suspect Reworld probably going to be one of the best games of the show. And like I said, just barely misses. It should be in my top 10. I'll talk about why it's not in my top 10 when I get to my top 10. But we'll worry about that later because we got a long ways to go, folks. Let's move on to Yokohama. I did a run-through for it. It's been widely available for a while. Alf English, but it's getting its German first edition. Hooray! German players, seek this out. It's a phenomenal game, really unique gameplay, quite unlike anything else out there. Watch my run-through to find out why. Neat, neat stuff. Yokohama. Then, oh yeah, baby, Rudiger Dorn is back with Istanbul Das Würfelspiel, also known as Istanbul the Dice Game. Yeah, I am super excited about this. Istanbul is a phenomenal game. Everybody loves it. I loved it too, but I famously thought there were some two-player balance issues, and I'm the only person in the world who feels that way. Jen and I are the only ones who even notice it. Everybody disagrees, so I'm crazy. I don't care. It's still the way I feel, and ultimately because of that, we got rid of Istanbul, even though it's one of those rarest of things, a pick-up-and-deliver game that we thought was really, really enjoyable. So, I'm very, very excited to get a DICE standalone re-implementation new version of it. What's he going to do? Maybe I was wrong and there was never any two-player balance issues, but if there are, will they still be there? I don't know. I'm definitely seeking this one out. This wouldn't be another one. Very, very high. This would be in my top 20 of must-gets easily. But for whatever reason, there are only 69, <laughs> only 69 people who have said they must have this. What's wrong with you people? This is going to be amazing. It's Rudiger Dorn. It's a stumble of the dice game. Come on. But let's move on to Fugitive, uh, which I did a run through for on Kickstarter. I guess it's finally now coming out in retail. This is a neat, neat game. Two players only. Um, it's basically 
Well, actually, I was going to say it's the Fugitive, the, the card game, but it is. It's called Fugitive. It is basically tells the story. Remember that movie from, was it the 90s? Yeah, it must have been the 90s, starring Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones called The Fugitive. Harrison Ford was on the run trying to clear his name. Tommy Lee Jones was going to track him down no matter what. That's what this game is for two players. One person is Tommy Lee Jones. One person is Harrison Ford. Both players are playing a radically different game. The Fugitive gameplay, is they're on the run. They're trying to hide. They're trying to move forward without giving away where they are. The, um, the Marshall game, for the gameplay for that player, is all about deduction and trying to figure out where they've gone and not getting thrown off the trail. Uh, over the course of the game, the Fugitive gets more desperate. The, for- the, the Marshall gets more powerful. It's brilliant. It is a masterclass of design, and it's finally coming out. I would love to get a final copy because the version I had in my run-through just had placeholder art, and it looks like the final art is phenomenal, too. Really um, playful and fun and whimsical. The Fugitive folks, seek it out. But let's move on to Deckscape, which, again, has been out for a while, but this is on the list because it's coming out now in German. But hey, you know what, folks? If you haven't tried it out already, it's going to be there in German and English. To date, it is, Jensen, my favorite version of Escape Rooms in the Home. Uh, and it's the most portable. It's the... Uh, it, it's. It's, it's the most affordable, and uh, it makes a great gift. After you've solved the puzzle, um, ha- give it to a friend, and they'll thank you for it because they're going to have a great time playing it too. Deckscape Der Test, uh, which I believe in English was originally called Deckscape uh, Time Test or something like that because, of course, it's timed. It's uh, escape rooms. You always got to race against the clock. But anyway, Deckscape is coming to SN. Moving on. Okay, here's one I don't know much about. It is called The Sanctuary, Endangered Species. This is a worker placement game where players are trying to build animal sanctuaries to save um, endangered animals. Instantly, like the subject matter, this is not the first game that's actually kind of tackled this. There have been a few other games that um, have cast players in the role of you know, uh, benevolent uh, you know, animal sanctuary developers. So, very, very cool. But I'm not interested because of the subject matter. The... The worker placement sounds very, very interesting to me because workers are kind of placed on um, on a line, and when you put them down, wherever you put them has a direct impact on the workers to the left and the right because I forget what it is. It's something like um, you get to activate what you want to do plus everything on the line of activation spots you can see up until you see another worker. So if I put my worker in the fifth spot, and then you put your worker in the second spot, um, you don't get to do anything past me beyond the fifth spot. It's something like that. I might be remembering this wrong, but I remember when I read the rules for it, I thought, wow, that sounds like a very, very cool new take on worker placement, which, of course, you know, is kind of been done to death now. So anybody who comes up with something new and interesting in worker placement, consider me interested. And then it's just a bonus on top of that that it has this wonderful um, you know, humanitarian theme to it as well. That's the Sanctuary Endangered Species. And after that, we've got Feudalia, which is a very, very cool... Um, a deck building game. I did a run through for it a couple of months ago when it was on. It wasn't on Kickstarter. It was on some other crowdfunding platform, as I recall. But um, the English Spanish edition, 
Presumably German as well. I don't know. That'd be weird to go to Germany without a German edition. But it says here on Martin's list, or Eric Martin's list, the uh, English and Spanish, and I'm going to assume German, but just don't trust, don't, don't, don't quote me on that, are coming out. And watch my run through to see why. This is a very, very cool deck builder. It has a lot of interesting elements to it. But probably the most important thing that I mentioned earlier is this is another example of a Euro-style kind of dry um, you know, economic simulation game that gets a lot more cool and exciting because it has an epic story-driven campaign that takes you through multiple games. I love that, and it worked really well in Feudalia. So it's coming out. Folks can try it for themselves. Or watch the run-through. But now let's move on to Flip Ships, which I'm very, very stoked for. This is a... Um, it's not a disc flicking game. You don't flick to, to watch the disc slide across the table. It's kind of more like, like pogs. You flip them you know, um, so that they flip through the air and land. Kind of like... Um, you know, oh, what's that game they play on college campus where they try to get the, uh, the quarters? It's kind of like quarters. All, with, all without quarters and without drinking. Um, because you're trying to get these little uh, discs that represent ships, spaceships, to flip across the table and land on the invading spaceships. Imagine Space Invaders played like quarters. I guess that's what this game is. That right there is a very, very interesting, weird, quirky, offbeat thing. But then what puts it over the top is... It's cooperative. And remember I was saying earlier how much I love the idea and how rare it is to find dexterity cooperative games. So that's why I'm interested. Oh, and by the way, it's also designed by Kane Klenko, the designer of Fuse, the designer, uh, you know, one of the sharpest designers working today, Dead Men Tell No Tales. He's put out a lot of stuff. Every design, covert, um, flatline, Every game he's done has been a phenomenal design, so I expect this is going to be great, too. I'd be interested, even if his name wasn't on it, but because his name is on it, forget about it. This is another top 20 candidate for me, and I had to think hard of, should I put it in the top 10? I didn't for reasons, but we'll get to that when we get to the top 10. Oh my gosh, folks, what are we at now? We've been going for about an hour. It looks like I'm about half, a bit more than halfway through. Phew, you know what? I need to take five. Hold on, we'll be right back. Okie doke, folks. Let's soldier on. Alrighty, next up we've got The Lost Expedition. Yet another game that I've done a run-through for. A neat little cooperative push-your-luck game. Um, and another one, I mean, there's been this spate of cooperative card games where players have to take turn playing cards to achieve some common goal. And the tricky thing is they can never be sure what their teammates are going to play. So you kind of have to play blind and hope that what you're doing doesn't mess up your teammate and they're hoping the same thing. Um, like I said, Deadline does it. And uh, um, 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 The Grizzle does it. And Lost Expedition does it as well. And it does it really, really well. Neat, fun, cooperative game. You can find out more in my run-through for Lost Expedition. Then we've got Harvest. I got a run-through for this done earlier this week. Um, oh, and apologies, I made one of a, uh, made one of my bigger goofs. I always make rules goofs. I don't think it ruined the video because still, you watch the video to see what the game feels like to play. Even if I overspend for some resource or another, the game still feels the same. It's just like, oh, maybe you should have had a little bit more money there. But anyway, Harvest is a neat little tiny epic Agricola type game. I say that because it's from the... the oh, no, 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 no. 
Oh, I misspoke. Oh, I, I think I'm losing it, folks. I should have taken a longer break. Here's the thing. Harvest is from AC Mistral Games. It is the sequel to Harbor, which was from designer Scott Alms, the designer of the Tiny Epic Games. And at the time, I said Harbor is Tiny Epic La Havre, and that is the best way to describe that. Harvest is from a different designer. Uh, it's not from Scott Alms. Instead, it's from uh, Trey Chambers. And you could, because of the connection to Harbor, consider this to be Tiny Epic Agricola. Now, that's not really the case. It's Agricola if the only thing you were focusing on was growing crops and um, getting special powers from, from um, your uh, improvements, uh, which... Is kind of you know you, you get rid of the livestock, you get rid of the uh, the, the worker placement. Oh, that's not true. It's a worker placement game. Okay, yeah, screw it. I'm gonna say it. It's a tiny epic agricola. It's got worker placement. It's got um, major slash minor improvements. They don't call them that, but that's what they are. It's got growing crops. Um, it's got this very cool, fun fantasy theme instead of the regular medieval era real world farmer. And it's just a sharp game. Like I said, watch that run through with the Klingon subtitles turned on so you can see when I make the epic goof. But aside from that, you should also be able to see that it's just a lot of fun. A lot of game in a very very tiny box. You could almost say there's something tiny and epic about it. That's Harvest. Okay. After this, we've got Petricor. Um, which again, I'm not going to spell it. You can check the show notes to see how it's spelled. And full disclosure, this is another game from a friend of mine here in Malta. But man, this I think is going to be one of the prettiest games at Essence Spiel. It has such a lovely, delightful, charming presentation. It's from designer of the designer of, and then um, and then we held hands. And unfortunately, it's an area control game. It's a game where players take on the role of clouds, and they're competing to be the best at raining to let um, plants and crops grow. It's so sweet. And so charming. And the player pieces are these little clouds that carry around little um, uh, water tokens in them as they move around the board and drop the tokens onto the board to indicate that you are watering the land and all of that. So, so charming. But it is an area control game. So, unfortunately... I've been really hesitant about it. They asked me to do a run-through for it. I read the rules. I've said, yeah, this sounds like really solid gameplay, but I'm worried the area control won't work really well for me in Gen. But I've wanted to try it ever since, because maybe I'm just being too much of a Care Bear baby, and we should give it a go. Because I know the gameplay is going to be good. I know it's going to be beautiful. The theme is phenomenal. Um, and, yeah, I should really seek this out. Petricor. All right, moving along, we've got Fog of Love. Here's another one of those games that is uh, all about trying to live a good, well-rounded life. Although this one has very much a romantic bent. This is a cooperative game where two players, it's uh, two players only, are in a romantic relationship. And this game follows the relationship from the beginning to the happy ending, or the sad ending, or the angry ending, depending on how things work out. And it's got... Uh, you know, very, very cool, interesting, um, unique mechanisms 
that drive the gameplay that are so thematic. Because based on what my character traits are, and at the beginning of the game, the first thing you do is you build a character. You might be a narcissist or um, you know an overly loving person or like uh, you know an antisocial. All these different character traits that determine who you are in the game and what it is you want out of a relationship. And meanwhile, your teammate is doing the same thing, creating their own character. And now these two characters are thrust together in a meet cute, and they got to find out if this relationship will last. And what might happen is, as you're playing the game, you might realize, wow, this re- we're doomed. We are, we are so opposite, we can never see eye to eye. We will not be able to complete our individual objectives, so we'll both lose. Unless I decide to change things up and go for the breakup, because I'm worried you might try to break up with me before I try to break up with you, if we both start to realize this relationship is doomed. Or do we work that much harder to try to find common ground? All of this being driven by some interesting Euro resource management, um, or actually um, meter management gameplay, and a healthy dollop of role-playing as well. Um, It's really, really sharp. Watch my run-through to see why. There's nothing else out there quite like it, and it's finally coming out. Fog of Love. After that, we've got Chimera Station. I did a run-through for that when it was on Kickstarter, and I just had Legos to demonstrate. I'm actually going to put up this weekend a video showing what the final version looks like, because I finally got my deluxe version in the mail this month. And this is a really cool. Remember I was saying earlier that, you know, worker placement's kind of in danger of getting stale because, you know, you really need to put something new in to keep it exciting. Chimera Station has something new. Programmable workers um that you, you know, these these cute little adorable plastic critters, these creatures that you can mess with their DNA to give them different attributes that make them stronger, make them smarter, um do all kinds of things and that's represented in-game by snapping together all these little pieces. In my original run-through, I did Legos, because you could snap the Legos together. Now, in the final version, these pieces are amazing. It's such a wonderful presentation, production, and a really rock-solid worker placement game as well. Watch my original run-through this weekend. Watch my update to show what the final stuff looks like to see why Chimera Station is so cool. After that, talking about cool production in terms of worker placement, trying to do new interesting stuff, let's talk about Anachrony. I did a run-through for this one. It was on Kickstarter last year, so you can go check out the original run-through. And that would be a run-through where you can watch that and get a pretty good idea of what the final game, because it it had a really high-quality, near-finished version, the prototype. I didn't have to sacrifice at all. This is a neat, neat game set in a post-apocalypse future that combines worker placement and time travel and giant mech suits and all kinds of crazy stuff in a very dense, heavy, crunchy worker placement game that really puts you through your paces, which is not surprising because it's from Mind Clash Games, the same publisher that put out Tricarian, and... It's it's really, really sharp. Jen, I enjoyed it a lot. I'm looking forward to getting that final box. I hope I can get those really cool mech suits, worker pieces as well. Uh, but again, check all that stuff out in the run-through. Anachrony was fantastic. Let's begin another fantastic game I've already covered. Baron Park. 
It's getting its German first edition now, I guess, so that's why it's listed here. Neat tile lane game where you are drafting to get Tetris-style tiles and snap them all together onto your place to make the best bear park possible. And like I was talking about earlier, this is another one of those games where you are trying to make the uh, best sanctuary for endangered animals. And I talked about this a bit when I did the run-through, that it kind of bugged me that... I mean, the gameplay, for don't get me wrong, the gameplay is fantastic. Um, from Phil Walker Harding, who's done a lot of really great designs over the years, it's smooth, it's clean, it's elegant, it's compulsive. It's one of those great gateway games you could teach to anybody, but is still compelling for hardcore gamer geeks, like presumably you and me, presumably you if you're listening to this podcast. But my only problem with it was, well... <laughs> One of the countries, everybody chooses to play a country as part of setup, and one of them is, is Japan. You can play the Japanese country and build a Japanese bear park. And I guess I shouldn't be bothered by it, but th- there's a real problem with Japanese bear parks. They're, they're this kind of blight on humanity. They're you know just these terrible, awful places that abuse the bears and you know for tourists to come and look at them. And it was just why was it, you know it. it it kind of, as I love the game. Don't get me wrong. I kept the game. We did a run through when we had the the uh, the first edition of it. We kept it. We enjoy it. We'll happily play it again. But in the back of my mind, I'm always wishing, man, I wish. Uh, well, I, I guess really, I just wish Japanese bear parks didn't exist. Don't get me wrong. There is a movement in Japan to try to clean up their act and um, you know and 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 um, you know and take care of the bears that have been so poorly treated for decades now. It's just been this dark little secret of the Japanese tourism industry, and I was just like, oh, why? Why? It's interesting. My understanding is the game was originally designed to be a, a roller coaster theme park game, and they changed it to Bears. And I can only assume the developers were just totally unaware that they were making such a a um, a tone deaf uh, you know thing here. But uh, it's weird. I hate to even bring it up. Because if I didn't, most people wouldn't know, and they could just enjoy the game. Because the game, it's brilliant. It's so, so good. It's probably going to make my top 20 best games of the year, because the gameplay is so good. Definitely top 30. Maybe top 20. And that's saying something, because this is going to be an amazing year. But still, you know, there's just like this little thing with it. Uh, don't let it bother you, though, because the game is great. I highly recommend it from a gameplay point of view, Baron Park. I just wish it did had a different theme. Or... Well, anyway, let's move on to something happier. Um, It's, hey, folks, it is a sequel to The Pillars of the Earth and the World Without End. It's called A Column of Fire, or in German, uh, Der Fundament Der Ewigkeit. Ewigkeit? Ewigkeit? Or A Column of Fire. So... This was a very popular series of big, massive books um, from... Oh, who's the writer of these books? I know Jen has read them all. She likes them. Um, I have not read... Oh, Ken Follett, I think. Is that right? Ken Follett's series of books, The um, you know the Pillars of the Earth and The World Without End, and then A Column of Fire. Years ago, um, The Pillars of the Earth and World Without End got very cool, well-respected... Um, gateway-ish Euro-style games. And then they've been out of print ever since, and they're hard to get. And my understanding is they're finally coming back in print. You're finally going to be able to get um, a, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Pillars of the Earth. It's going to finally get a reprint. 
But anyway, so the third game in this series of novels is getting a game as well from the original designer of these well-loved games, uh, Michael Renick. So, hooray, rejoice, Ken Follett novel fans or Pillars of the Earth fans. It's getting a sequel. I don't know anything about it. I have to admit, Pillars of the Earth was a brilliant design, except it kind of shows its age, especially in the way it deals with um, player scaling. It was just not a very good two-player game for no real reason. It could have been, and it just wasn't. So I'm hoping, over the years, Michael has gotten um, you know a bit more experience with working on solid two-player design as well. So I'm definitely interested, although I guess not really, because I, I guess it's from Cosmos, so it's only going to be in German, and I bet you it's going to be have a lot of language. So really, this is only for my German listeners, or people who want to do paste-ups and whatnot, because I'm sure people will immediately make English printouts you can put onto your cards. Because I'm sure it's going to be great. I have high hopes for A Column of Fire or Das Fundament der um, Egwitkeit. Okay, but let's move on to another game that I've done a run-through for that's been out for quite a while, but it's finally coming out in German. The Networks, a very, very cool card grafting game where players are trying to run their own prime time um, network or television network, which, of course, in probably 10 or 15 years, people are going to say, what's that? Uh, Because it's quickly becoming a dinosaur. But hey, I grew up worrying about what was on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and the Thursday night lineup. Remember Must See TV? Somebody remember Must See TV, Thursday night, NBC? Um, this is a game that harkens back to that heyday of, of network television as players try to get the best shows on the air with the best cast and the best commercials uh, to be the best network they can. Really, really sharp game. And now available in German, the network's. After that, we've got a game I did a run-through for a while ago. I guess it's getting its European debut, Sentient, uh, from Renegade Games. Really, really sharp game. Kind of an abstractish sort of game, really, but not really. It's an auction game where we're auctioning to get cards so that we can program... Robots of the future to um, in a post-scarcity automated society where everything is great and players are just trying to make the best robot, you know, automated robots assembly lines possible. And um, really smart, smart puzzly play. Jen, I very enjoyed it. Really, really great presentation as well. Check out the run-through for more for Sentient. And now, this one... You know, I said I was doing a top 100, and I kind of cheated, because this entry is actually three games in one. There is a series of games coming um, from uh, Stronghold Games in English, and, um, oh, I cannot remember the German, 2F games uh, in, in German, from Designer of Power Grid, and I can't believe I can't remember his name. Oh, why can't I remember your name? This is driving me nuts. I'm really starting to lose... Oh, Freedom and Freeze, which is why it's from 2F Games, uh, or Stronghold. Freedom and Freeze is putting out a series of three games, and they're called the Fast Forward series. They, They are Flea, Fear, and Fortress, I think, are the name of the three. Now, the one I'm most interested in of these three is Flea, because it's the cooperative one, and the other two are competitive, and I guess one of them is uh, fairly aggressive, so I don't know if that one's going to work for us. The uh, I think that's Fortress, because players are directly fighting each other. And Fear, it's a competitive game, but players aren't really beating each other up. And then Flea is a cooperative game where players are working together. Now, these are all card games, 
And they're in the fa- the fast forward series is setting itself up to be known as a series of games that you get the game, you take it out of the box, you read a little bit of intro, you read a paragraph of information, a couple of paragraphs of information, and then you start playing the game. And the game teaches you how to play as you go. Now we've started to see this some um, this year. Uh, you know, most famously, this war of mine did it to uh, to mixed effect. Uh, you can watch my run through of that to find out more. But anyway, I'm very excited to see how this works because this notion of a game that can teach players how to play as they go and doesn't require somebody to sit down and spend two hours learning how to read the rules and learn the game and then teach everybody else to play before everybody else can play, that's a big problem for the industry. I've talked about this before. That's the thing that's preventing our board game industry from breaking out into the wider pop culture awareness. It'll always be a niche thing as long as players have to spend an hour or two learning how to read rules. And so I'm very interested in seeing this series of games called Fast Forward that teach you how they go. I I respected it in This War of Mine. I respected it a few years ago when Cosmos did it in Legends of Andor. And, um, you know, there are other things beside. There's the Dized app that is trying to make every game be a game that can teach you how to play as you go. So this is a great, great crusade that Freedom and Freeze is on along with several other developers, and I want to see how they do it. So this entry was for Flea, the cooperative one I really want to play, but just as much for Fortress and Fear. All of these games that teach you how to play as they go. What are they? I don't know. I'll find out when I start playing it and they teach me how to play. How's that for a cool idea? I think it's cool. I'm excited. But now, let's move on to Riverboat, which is a new game from Michael Kiesling. It is a uh, worker placement game where you're laying tiles, I guess... I don't know if you're building the riverboats by laying the tiles or if you're building the river by laying the tiles that the riverboats go on. I don't know if the riverboats are the workers you're placing or you're placing workers in your riverboat as you build. I don't know. I don't care. Michael Kiesling is a brilliant designer. He puts out great stuff. And um, this is going to be something new for him. Worker placement crossed with um, uh, tile placement. Now, you may remember I did a run-through a few years ago for Sansuchi, which was another Michael Kiesling game that had the tile laying down, which was brilliant. And it was kind of sort of a worker placement game, but not really. So I'm interested to see. I don't know if this is going to be maybe him taking some of the ideas he used in Sansuchi and doing something new, but I haven't really bothered to look it up because I don't care because I know it's going to be brilliant. This is another one of those games that's basically tied for 11 and it just barely didn't make my top 10 riverboat. Let's move on, however, to Keeper, the latest game in the Keedom series from designer Richard Breeze. And um, I'm really kind of bummed. This was on Kickstarter last year. It's getting its big launch now. And I would have happily covered it was on Kickstarter, but I didn't. they didn't send me a copy. But I'm very, very excited to try the final game. Um, you know, the Keedom games are, you know, like Key Flower and um, Key Harvest and... Um, Oh, God, uh, Cathedral. And I mean, these have been a series of really, really sharp games. And Keeper, I expect, will be a great continuation. It's very, very sad that Juliet Breeze, the artist on all the old games, is gone, but has been replaced with a new, very talented artist who kind of captures her style, but brings new life into the the, uh, Keedom series as well. But I, so I, I didn't get to run through it. I haven't bothered reading the rules because I just trust Richard Rees to make something really, really great. 
What I'm most excited about, though, is the means you have for actually generating resources has to do with this board. The, the worker placement board is constantly... It's like this neat little can fold over on top of itself and collapse inside of itself. And I've seen video of it happening, and I look at it, and I don't even understand how it works. It looks like it's an optical illusion, how the board just keeps, the worker placement board just keeps reinventing itself and changing itself over and over and over again. And it looks really, really cool. And Key Flower is amazing. It's one of my top 10 games of all time. So Keeper, I'm stoked. I am going to be there with bells on. Moving on, we next got to talk about Tiny Epic Quest, which I did a run-through for. And as I said at the time, Tiny Epic Quest is basically taking old classic 8- and 16-bit fantasy adventure games on the Nintendo and the Sega, you know, like Dragon Warrior and Final Fantasy, when it was good. <gasps> oh my gosh. Um, you know, uh, the second Legend of Zelda. All these games always had like an overworld where the characters would travel along as they were going on their quest. And then every once in a while they'd get attacked by monsters and have a fight. And then they'd continue traveling on the overworld. Tiny Epic Quest, the entire game, is about traveling on the overworld so you can go and complete quests. And it's a really sharp, clever game. And it comes with one of the coolest gameplay components to have come out in the last five years easily, the item meeples. Little meeples that you can plug and play little items on to show how they level up over the course of the game. Watch my run through to find out more. It's a neat, neat game. The only complaint I had was that the prototype I had, the cards were a little busy. It was kind of hard to make out the board that you were traveling along. But the gameplay was really sharp in Tiny Epic Quest. I'm looking forward to seeing the final. After that, um, again, this I'm not sure why it's on the list, but again, why do I keep saying this? Eric, Martin, you confuse me so much. But anyway, the second English edition of Raiders of the North Sea is on the list. Now, no doubt, because... Oh, wait. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, Raiders of the North Sea, which was nominated for the Kennerspiel earlier this year. So it's already available in German. I know it's already available widely in English. It's available everywhere. But Eric put it on the list because the second edition is going to be available for the first time. Is there anything different about the second edition? Yes, it's got a new publisher. Uh, Renegade Games has has picked up the rights to publish it. You know, um, from Garp Hill Games that did the original first edition. Are they changing anything? I have no idea. The original game was already brilliant. Will this version be compatible with the expansions that I already did a run through from Garp Hill Games? I don't know. Will Renegade be picking up the expansions? I don't know. I have more questions than answers here. But the one answer I can give you is Raiders of the North Sea is great. You can watch my run-through to find out why. Okay, moving on to Dinosaur Island. It's a shame. This is one, I actually, this is a worker placement game where players are trying to compete to build the best Jurassic Park they can. And I was really interested in doing a run-through for it when it was on Kickstarter, but there were some crossed wires or the timing didn't work and I couldn't actually do it. So I didn't cover it then, but I'm looking forward to checking out the final because I like that idea. You're spending an equal amount of time doing worker placement to build the park and also trying to splice DNA to make the coolest dinosaurs you can. That sounds like a very, very cool theme. I don't know what the gameplay is like, but I do like the ideas. You know, and of course, the different dinosaurs you make have different requirements. If you make velociraptors, they're very smart. The security on their pens has to be better than on the, the brontosaurus or whatever it might be. Sounds like a neat idea. I'm looking forward to trying 
to building my own dinosaur island. Mm. Had to take a drink there. Now let's continue on. Oh my gosh. Oh, my throat is so sore. But let's continue. Onwards and upwards. I'm to the last third. Whew. Hey, let's talk about Professor Evil and the Citadel of Time. This is a cooperative game um, from the design team of Elysium, which is one of the best games that have come out in the last decade. Elysium is amazing. Watch my run-through to find out why. Absolutely amazing card drafting game. And so, whenever um, Matt Dunstan and Brett Gilbert get together, I'm immediately interested. So, and I think... I think this might be the first game where the two of them have worked together since Elysium. I could be wrong about that. I'd have to double check. But I'm not going to double check right now because I'm just trying to move forward. Keep this ship moving forward, baby. All right. So anyway, um, Citadel of Time is a cooperative game where players are running around in the Citadel of Time, which is a big mansion, trying to recover stolen artifacts. And an evil professor is um, you know, trying to halt their progress. I'll be honest. When I first heard about this... I was excited because of the designers. Then when I heard about the gameplay, I was kind of like, oh, that sounds a little bit too lightweight. I'm not sure if I'm really excited about that. Um, But then I saw it has this one cool thing. It's a pandemic-style game where you get a certain amount of action points. A lot of those action points are spent moving and picking things up and opening doors and interacting with stuff in the world. You know, kind of standard stuff. But apparently, every round, everybody draws a card that indicates a new action they can do this round and this round only. So while you might have already been planning to do X, go turn off the alarm so the other player can get to the artifact they're going to get to, all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I've got this action. If I don't do it now, I can't do it. So do we change all our plans to take advantage of this new thing that's fallen into our laps? That's my understanding of how it works. And when I heard that, I got excited again. Because that sounds very, very cool. And I really look forward to trying it out. That's Professor Evil and the Citadel of Time. And then next up, we have Otis. Which spelled O-T-Y-S. Oh, I spelled it. I shouldn't have done it. But Otis. um, Which is from Pearl Games and a first-time designer. And um, this one, I have to look at it a little bit more, but I think it might have been tied for 11 as well. I thought really hard about putting this in. Didn't quite make it, but my understanding is, well, one, the game is going to be gorgeous. Two, it's set in a, uh, a kind of a water world future where the world is all drowned and all the great treasures are, you know, you know uh, fathoms below the sea, and players run diving crews who dive, dive, dive deeper and deeper to get all these artifacts of the old world, because they're worth victory points, of course. And the interesting thing is, so there's groups of divers you're sending down, and the deeper they go, the more access they get to different, more powerful actions and the stuff that they're trying to find. But as soon as you have any of your divers use an action that's available to them on whatever depth they've gotten to, that diver immediately has to rush back up to the surface and all your other divers move deeper. So that sounds like a very, very cool action selection mechanism. That, you know, there are cooler and cooler actions available to me, but I have to keep pushing my workers farther and farther and farther. And that means I have to trigger some earlier actions and kind of give those workers up so I can get to the later actions. This 
It's nothing like it, but it kind of almost sounds like it has a little bit of the time element of of Zolkin, the Mayan calendar, but in a radically different way, in a radically different theme from a publisher that always puts together really, really great games. So Otis, I am very interested. It's probably another one of my tied for 11 or number 12s. And then we have Castles of Burgundy, the dice game. Oh yeah, baby! Castles of Burgundy, my top 10 games of all time. My number one Stefan Feld game of all time. Castles of Burgundy, the card game that came out earlier. I did a run-through for that. That was a fantastic re-implementation that kept the spirit of Burgundy alive, but plays in half the time with just a deck of cards. Nicely done. And now we're um, doing Castles of Burgundy with dice. And I know people say, but it was always a dice game. It wasn't a dice game. It's a drafting game that features dice. Monopoly is not a dice game, folks. It's an auction stock speculation game. It's not a dice game. Um, Castle Burgundy is not a dice game. It's a draft. It's a tile drafting game. Just perhaps if you're dice. But Castle Burgundy, the dice game, is a dice game. I think it's a roll and write. All I know is I'm interested because Stefan Feld worked with um, Christophe uh, Toussaint, who did the uh, what was it the roll and write version of Aquasphere called Octodice. And Jen, I thought that worked really well, so he did a good job there. I suspect he's going to do a good job here, especially since he's working directly with Mr. Feld. So, and uh, I expect more great Burgundy in my future. Yay, Castles of Burgundy, the dice game. Moving on, we've got London 2nd Edition. I just did a uh, talk through for this the other day. It's an, a great re-implementation improvement, in my, to my mind, of London by getting rid of the map of London and replacing it with these gorgeous um, map cards while still keeping the brilliant London engine building. Watch my original run-through of London to see how great London is. Watch my update to see how much they've improved it. And then you will know you're doing the right thing if you seek out London's 2nd edition. Uh, London is in my top 10 deck builder game, or not deck builder, uh, engine building games of all time for good reason. It's absolutely phenomenal. London's 2nd edition makes it even better. Let's move on. Another game I did a run-through for when it was on Kickstarter earlier this year is a real-time cooperative game called Kitchen Rush. And this was an absolutely delightful game because it's real-time worker placement. Everybody's working in a restaurant trying to um, you know, serve the patrons, take their orders, cook the food, keep the pantry stocked, pay everybody's salary, and keep the whole place running smoothly. And you do it through worker placement where your workers are big old sand timers. And so once you start an action, you put the worker, you do the action, and then you got to wait 30 seconds before you can do another action with that worker. And everybody's working as fast as they can to race against the time to make as much money as possible over, you know, during um, you know, an average night in a restaurant. Fun. Silly, frantic game. Jen and I enjoyed this quite a bit. Kitchen Rush. Then we've got... Okay, this is another cheat because I'm just going to have one entry for Exit the Game or Exit Dosh Spiel. There are several new games in the Exit series coming out at Essen next week. That's the good news. The bad news is they're all in German only. No, I want English exit the game. But 
Like I said, for my German listeners, head over to Cosmos because you're going to have a lot of really great escape game fun in your future with these awesome little exit dash spiel games. I remember one's uh, Murder on the Orient Express and one of them's... Uh, I think a science fiction something or other. Lots of cool themes. I'm sure they're going to be full of lots of really cool, fun gameplay again. Jen, I have definitely enjoyed these. Can't wait for more. Um, the Inca and Marcus brand, they're back at it. Looking forward to more Exit. Let's move on to The Palace of Mad King Ludwig, which is a sequel to The Castles of Mad King Ludwig. And the main change here is instead of everybody building their own little um, uh, castle by drafting for tiles and putting them together and doing all kinds of really cool combo-lated gameplay funness, everybody loves Castles of Mad It's a great, great game. Watch my run-through to see why. Now, everybody's doing the same thing, except everybody's working on the same palace instead of their own separate castle. And so the interaction between players is going to go through the roof, and I can't wait to see how it happens. I'm very, very excited for this because Castles of Mad King Ludwig is fantastic. And I hope my one big complaint about Castles of Mad King Ludwig, that it didn't do very good player scaling with the bonus tiles, hopefully that'll be addressed in this sequel. Because who knows, maybe it'll replace castles for me. I don't know, time will tell. But I definitely want to check out Palace of Mad King Ludwig. And now, another game that would have been tied for number 11. This is so easy, I just cop out. I don't have to make any tough decisions. I just say it's tied for number 11. How many have I said now? But anyway, this is definitely one of them. Pulsar 2849. And there's one reason I'm interested in this. Designer Vladimir Suchi. I have been waiting for a big, heavy, meaty, crunchy euro from this man. Uh, the designer of um, Shipyard, the designer of Last Will. I've been waiting for a new game from him for years, and here it comes. Do I need another reason to be excited about this? Yes. Dice drafting. Vladimir Suchi dice drafting 3x space exploration game that last bit i don't know i've had mixed results with um space exploration style games in the past but i will give this a try i am very excited for this this just misses my top 10 arguably it should be in it again we'll come back to that when we get to the top 10 in a bit it's getting ever closer folks but in the meantime pulsar 2849 I expect to be greatness. But now let's move on to Codename Duels, which, by the way, folks, this Saturday, tomorrow, if I get this podcast up today, um, Jen and I are going to be playing Codename Duet. Did I say Codename Duels? I meant Codename Duet live with the internet, 4 o'clock CEST, Malta time. Um, you can join and play a game with me and Jen as we all work together in Codenames Duet, which is an excellent, wonderful, lovely little... Um, cooperative variant on Codenames. Now, here's the thing. I haven't done my run-through yet because I'm planning on doing the run-through by playing the game with hundreds of people at the same time. So tune in for that. But Codenames Nuet, I was so excited about because we already thought Codenames was an excellent cooperative two-player game. And then this was it being designed to do it. It's great. We really enjoy it. I don't know if it's that much better than regular Codenames two-player cooperative gameplay. Um, it's really smart. I'll be doing final thoughts about that later. But in the meantime, 
Tune in tomorrow if you want to find out whether this is something you should seek out at the show. Long story short, I do think it is. We really enjoy it. I'm keeping my copy, um, and soon you'll be able to get your own if you're at Essence Spiel. Next up, we have got Majesty, which is from the designer of Splendor. And that's why I'm really interested. Splendor came out of nowhere, was a monster hit, and this is his follow-up. What's that designer's name? Mark Andre. This is his follow-up. And so he's under a lot of pressure to make something really amazing. And I don't know much about it. It's a deck building with some area control and set collection and worker placement and um, card drafting. And just about every mechanism under the sun is all going to be glommed together in this game called Majesty. Is it going to be good? I don't know. But I'm really interested to find out because Splendor, even though it wasn't for me and Jen, was an excellent design. So I want to see what this guy does next with Majesty. After that, we've got Tybor der Baumaster, or Tybor the Builder in German. Um, Because this is the yearly game that you can buy, and when you buy it, your money is going to a worthy cause. Because there is, oh, what's it called? The Osterspiel, I think? Or the the Osterreichs... uh, the Osterreichs Spiele Museum, I believe, is the name of it. It's a museum that is devoted to gaming. I've never been there. I really want to go there because I feel like every year I keep buying these games that if you buy them, they were made especially so that the profits from them go to maintaining this museum. And for the last few years, some phenomenal games have come out of this. Royal Goods was released via this program and went on to become Oh My Goods, which was amazing. Port Royal was released this way, which was amazing. And now Tybor the Builder is being released this way. And what's in common between all these three games, besides the fact that they are going towards a good cause of helping um, maintain a museum that's near and dear to all our hearts, they're all from designer Alexander Pfister. So in my mind, these are all three part of a series of games. They could literally be set in the same world easily. I don't know if they are, but he should consider that. But anyway, Tybor or Bowmaster, I will be there. I will be um, making by donation, and I'm sure I will be enjoying it like every year for the last few years. Okay, moving on. We've got Heaven and Ale. This one... Ah, this one I'm torn on, folks, big time. Um, I'm very, very excited about it because it's from Michael Kiesling again. And you've heard me wax rhapsodic about that man enough. So I will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stop doing all that. This time, he's working with another designer. Um, what's his name? Uh, Andreas Schmidt, who I'm not really familiar with Andreas. I believe he's an established, experienced designer as well. But mostly, I'm here for the Kiesling. This is a, um, a game where players are running, a, I assume, a monastery that's harvesting the, 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 the hops and the barley and whatever you need to be able to make beer and sell it to taverns. And I think this game focuses equally on the ta- on the running of the tavern as it does on the brewing of the beer. So, here's the thing. Here's why I'm torn. I love Michael Kiesling. The man can do no wrong. On the other hand, I have found several times and I've kind of given up now beer theme beer um brewing themed games invariably turn out to be a huge turnoff. It's just, 
It's a weird blind spot for me. I, I learned this when I first time I played Brewcraft. I was like, wow, I should love this game. And I just can't find myself engaged because of the subject matter. So I know I want to play this game for the designer. I just kind of wish it was something other. I mean, I, why couldn't it have been um, you know, Heaven and Wine? Or something like that. Because it's weird. I, I, I freely admit this makes no sense. It's probably some kind of deep um, psychological issue I've got, you know, having grown up in my family where, you know, we, we had some alcoholism issues and stuff like that. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But I just don't like beer and I don't like games where I'm making beer. I don't like wine. So, uh, I don't think I'll know whether I'm going to pick this up until I get there. Because um, I'm sure the gameplay is great. And really, I'm sure the rest of you out there do not have this weird hang-up. So definitely check out Heaven and Ale. Moving right along. Hey, it's an, a new Unlock game. I talked about Deckscape. I've talked about Exit. So it's time to talk about Space Cowboys Unlock, which are the games, uh, the, you know, the unlock in your home games that are particularly cool because they use an app and they do lots of really cool multimedia stuff like, you know, audio files and, and all sorts of neat things. Jen, I loved Unlock. Even when we didn't love it, we loved it. A new box with three adventures is coming. And it's going to be there in English, unlike the exit stuff, which is all in German. So forget about it. There's going to be one um, where we're on a submarine that's under attack from a sea monster, one where we're in a haunted house, and one where we are looking for pirate treasure on a tropical island. Forget about it. Those all sound awesome. I want to do them right now. And I will be doing them after I get back from Essen, and Jen and I get to play some Unlock Mystery Adventures. Oh, yeah, baby! Okay, let's move on to uh, some heavier fare. Liz Boa from um, Designer Vita Lasarda. I did a run-through for this one. It was on the Kickstarter. And, you know, Vita Lasarda, he is just, I want to say brilliant, but, man, there is just something about this guy's brain that he keeps, keeps coming out with these insanely intricate, rich, detailed economic simulations. Vinos, the wine industry, Galaris, the, you know, the art scene, um, and, uh, you know, oh, a CO2 power plant building. I mean, you know, everything he does is great. And Lisboa, I know, is his most personal game to date. Uh, you know, it's, it's like a personal pro, uh, passion project for him because he is Portuguese, he knows the history, and, um, and the game itself is bonkers brilliant, just like all his other stuff. Although it was interesting, when I did the run-through for it last year, I did complain a little about how, unlike his other games, there wasn't as much setup variability as I would like to see. And, oh man, I, I feel kind of silly saying this, but that made him go back to the drawing board and they came up with a stretch goal where they added a whole new set of setup variability that addressed my one issue with the game. So they kind of did it for me and Jen, so now I gotta go play the game. Although, I mean, I'd play it anyway because again, the man is just, he's, he's brilliant. Um, his designs are all really smart. How they have this one simple gameplay mechanism at the core, and yet from that one simple decision you make every round, so many myriad huge chain of events and cause and effects just blossom, and that's definitely the case for Lisboa. Check my run-through to find out more. And in the meantime, let's move on to Rajas of the Ganges. Okay, Inca and Marcus brand... 
And my understanding is most of the design is Inca. That Marcus is more, you know, he's kind of like the idea guy. And that Inca does most of the design, and he helps her and does a lot of the, the testing. I and mean, they are design partners as well. But I think there's a reason that it's always Incas and Marca. Uh, or Incas. <laughs> Inca and Marcus. Oh, dear. I'm sorry. There's no way that the two of them are hearing this. But long story short, they are a great design team. They put out really solid Euros. Village is amazing and so deserving of the awards it's won. And last year, they had Turia. And in between, they've done a bunch of other stuff. And this year, their new big game... Oh, and all the Exit the Spiel games? Man, they've got a really great range of stuff they're doing. Um... What was it, Murano or Burano they did? Um, really, I mean, they, 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 they are, they're, they're never miss. Their names are on the box. You know it's going to be a good game. And this is a dice-rolling worker placement game, you know, um, set in 16th century India, which is not a locale that I see very often. So I'm excited for the theme. I'm excited for the gameplay. Dice worker placement, I believe, is what it is. And I'm excited for the design pedigree, the brands, Inca and Marcus brand. So bring on Raja of the Ganges, I say. Next up, we have Clank in Spain! Thought you'd never hear that from me again, didn't you? Um, it's coming. Uh, I, I, I guess this counts. I, I, I don't know if it's coming in German or not. I'm not really quite sure. There were so many entries on this list where, hey, here's the German listed on this one, and here's the English one listed on this one. I think for some reason that I'm thinking that, or maybe it was regular Clank that's coming out in German, and Clank in space is coming out in English. I'm not quite sure. You can go check out the Renegade booth to find out. Suffice to say... Clank is fantastic. Clank in space is phenomenal. All Clank all the time is a good thing. And Clank in space is coming to Germany, folks. Seek it out. And in the meantime, watch my run-through to find out why it's so great. Clank in space. And Clank! Also worth noting. Okay, let's move on to something new. Hey, I haven't played Indian Summer... Although I kind of feel like I have, because this is the next game in Uwe Rosenberg's... He's doing this series of game, of Tetris games, where you know he started with Patchwork, and then he did um, Feast for Odin, and then he had Cottage Garden, and now he's got Indian Summer, which is another game where all the gameplay resolves around... Having this grid where every round you're grabbing um, via some gameplay mechanism these tiles and you're trying to puzzle them all together to score a lot of points. How is this one different than Patchwork and Cottage Garden? I don't know, but I'm in, I just want to find out because how can he keep skinning this same cat? I mean, every one of those games was radically different and did things in very different ways for very different audiences. So I am definitely interested in Indian Summer as he once again goes back to the Tetris-style tile-laying um, genre that he is kind of dominating. Um, but anyway, so that's Indian Summer. Then we've got Whistle Stop. Now, I've already done a run-through for this. This is an incredible game. Um, you know, from... From... Ah. I'm sorry, I need a drink of water. Ah! Okay. Sorry. We're going to make it, folks. Although I'm out of water. I don't know if Jen is... Give me some... Yay! Jen heard that. Hooray. This is my command. Uh, thank you, honey pie. So, this is uh, from designer Scott Caputo who uh, in the past had um, done, oh, what, Veluspa? 
and something else. I'm trying to remember what else. I can't for the life of me remember. Um, you know, some other games. But anyway, um, but Whistle Stop is a really, really neat game. I know people want to call it a pick up and deliver game, and I guess kind of it is, but not really. Watch my run through, and you'll see why. It's a really, really unique game where uh, players have a fleet of trains that they are moving from the east coast to the west coast of some unnamed country, and but. So they have to move along tracks that haven't been built yet because players are tile-laying to put the, tra- the tiles down that will create the tracks that all the trains are going on, both your trains and your opponent's trains. And along the way, they're stopping in places to get resources because then if they stop in other places, they can deliver those resources. Um, and it's really, really sharp. Really fun. And the thing that was so amazing about this game, I talked about this in the run-through and the final thoughts. You can learn to see... You can actually see me demonstrate this. This game... I can't think of a game that is more full of absolutely insane, bonkers combo gameplay. The things you can pull off in this game, you're playing and you think, this is broken, there's no way I should be able to do this. And in fact, I demonstrated something that a lot of people who watched my run-through said, that's clearly broken, Rotto must have misunderstood a rule. Even Paolo thought that when he was checking me for goofs. You must have goofed, you can't do that, that's impossibly overpowered. And um, Ted Alsbach, the head of Bezier Games, the publisher, he came along and said, no, That is no more powerful than any of the other insanely, stupidly overpowered things you can do in this game. Winning this game is all about finding and coming up with clever, interesting, surprising, crazy, overpowered combos. And it's like that from start to finish, and it just escalates. It's amazing. Scott Caputo, well done, sir. And Voluspa was a really nice design, too. We liked it, but Whistle Stop is something really special. Now, to be fair, I did have one complaint with it, which is the fewer players there are, the more trains there are. And at a five-player game, each player controls five trains. And what Jen and I found is while we loved it, for us, and other people have said it's really not that much of a problem, so maybe it's just us. Maybe it's just some kind of group thing. We went so far down the rabbit hole of analysis paralysis, it was just too much for us. Uh, Ted has told me after the fact, so let me uh, state for the record, that apparently this is a game that the more you play it, the better you get at it, and then you just start you know, communing with the game and you just see what the best combos are and you don't have to think through the 50,000 different options you have on every single turn. But for me and Jen, Jen especially, um, you know, I mean, this game, it was a good grind, but man, it was uh, a lot of of brain burn in this game. And I say that in a good way, but I say it is something to know going in for Whistle Stop. Let's talk now about Nusfjord, which is uh, Uwe Rosenberg's other big new game of the show. And I guess this one is set up in a Nordic fishing village, and it's an economic worker placement simulation. So what's new? Apparently, stock market stuff, which is something he's never really done in his other games, I believe. The notion that, oh, well, I've got my little enterprise, and I'm using my workers to run my little fishing commercial enterprise, and I'm building and getting stronger. But you know what? If there's an action I want to do, and I can't do it because I don't have the resources, I can offer up stock. Thanks, honey pie. Jen has just given me... She gave me some water, but now she's given me... I assume this is some hot honey water... 
kind of a thing to soothe my parched throat. And she's just sitting there smiling, so pleased with herself. Um, thank you very much. If I, yes, I do need this desperately. Hold on, everybody. I'm going to um, I'm going to lubricate the pipes. Mmm. Oh yeah, and it's delicious too. Well, oh, you put extra honey in there, didn't you? Normally, it's not quite that sweet. <laughs> Normally, it's just kind of honey tinged. I mean, but this is like, uh, did did you get some water in my honey here? Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Uh, normally, I don't even like honey, but this is really good. Of course, I'm desperate. Mm. Oh, I haven't finished yet. All right, <laughs> thanks, honey. Fine. All right. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, uh, Newsfjord. Uh, so I'm running my fishing empire. I can't do what I want to do. Oh, I'll just issue some stock. I'll put them out there on the market to get a little bit of a loan. And then all of a sudden, if I'm not quick, if I don't uh, get that stock back, other players could buy it. And now all of a sudden, they're invested in my success. I don't want you to succeed off of my success. Of course, this is um, something that's been around in games for a long, long time. There are so many games that do this. But Uwe Rosenberg has never done it. And he's one of the best modern board game designers there is, Euro-style designers. So that's why this is on my list. Want to play. Want to see what his take is. And now here's another reason, too. This is a game that, um, unlike most of his games of the last decade, your Agricolas, your Lo Yangs, your Cavernas, your, um, your Oret Laboras, your Mercators, this one's a bit on the lighter side. My understanding is this is a bit closer to weight the weight of Glass Road, which is very, very cool as well. I don't mind having a nice, you know, lighter to midweight Uwe Rosenberg design every once in a while, too. Glass Road, we love it. So that's another reason I'm excited about Neusfjord. And now back to the honey, honey. Oh my gosh. Mm. Ah, sorry. That does not make good listening, I know. But it was a lifesaver. Let us continue with Azul, which is... Hey, everybody. Repeat it with me. Michael Kiesling brings us another awesome, um, super smooth, streamlined, elegant game. Were you repeating with me? I Actually, I didn't do that very well. That would have been, I would have been very surprised if you repeated that along with me. But anyway, Michael Kiesling is here again. What has this guy been doing? Dude, I mean, do you have a day job? Did you quit? Are you doing this full-time now? That'd be really cool if he was. I'm sure it's probably not. But anyway, I haven't actually gotten a chance to play this, although it seems like a lot of other um, uh, board game review shows have, but I don't know if my copy got lost in the mail or what, but I will definitely be picking up a copy of this at Essence Spiel because, did I mention earlier, Kiesling can do no wrong? Um, that's all that, you know, that's, those are words to live by. And I've heard nothing but how awesome this is from everybody who has played it. There are several other reviews from some very, some, some review shows I very much respect. Go uh, check out John Gitt's games, for example. Um, but anyway, uh, apparently it's gorgeous. Apparently, it's an incredibly smart, puzzly game. It's very abstract, but it's one of those abstract games that you don't mind it being abstract because it's just so amazingly good, um, you know, and with such high-quality components. Azul, you had me at Michael Kiesling, you know. So let's let's uh, let's let's not leave without it. Then let's talk about Noria, which is a new game. What was it that I was interested in about this? Because it was from a new designer. 
uh, lady designer, um, Sophia Wagner. Hooray, yes, please. Um, somebody take the weight off of Inca Brand's shoulders. Let's get some more female board game designers making cool, strong, amazing Euros. Let's get rid of this boys club. Let's get some new voices. So, I'll be honest. I'm interested because of that, but not really. The main thing that pulls me to this, besides the absolutely Stunning box art. I mean, I cannot say just how gorgeous this box art is. Very evocative of, you know, castles floating in the sky and sky ships and stuff like that. Neat, neat Laputa vibe going. But putting that aside, what was really interesting to me about this game is when I first saw a picture of a prototype, apparently... Apparently, um, I'm not sure if it's a worker placement game. I think it might be. But each player has their own set of concentric circles. A ring with another ring around it with another ring on top of that. And these are flat surfaces. These are the boards. And these rings can rotate independently. And a big part of the game is rotating them. I think building it and then rotating it and then activating it. And so your your action selection is based on this action selection ring that's constantly in motion throughout the game. I'm kind of reminded of last year's... um, Oh, why can't I think of it? Because all I'm thinking about uh, is is this game, is Noria. I'm thinking of Ulm, which was a very cool little, you know, goods conversion, point-scoring engine game that had this absolutely amazing action selection mechanism at its core. That's what Noria looks like. A different game, to be sure, but I'm sure a great presentation, solid gameplay, but a really cool new way to let players choose what actions they're going to do. And that's why I'm excited for Noria. And then after that, we have got... Oh, by the way, I have not been paying attention at all, but we're getting close to the end of, the, of, the, of these top 90, where I've been going based on how many people have said they must have. And remember, when I started out, people there were like... 10, 12 people, 20 people saying they want it. For Noria, 500, or I'm sorry, 357 people have said they must have this. Wow. Congratulations um, to first-time designer Sophia Wagner. Sounds like this is going to be a hit. And all the games I'm talking about now are the ones that there is going to be a lot of heat for, just based on how many people are saying, not saying, oh, I'm interested, not saying I'm thinking about it, but saying, I must have this. So, um, something to bear in mind. But anyway, let's move on to the next one. Ex Libris, which is another one from Renegade Studios. Apparently this came out at Gen Con, but I guess this is the European release of it. And, um, you know, I don't know much about it. Apparently everybody loves it. Apparently it's gorgeous. And I believe it's a card drafting game where the cards we get have... Basically, they look like portions of a bookshelf. And you're trying to get cards and then lay them out on the table such that you're actually building... um, a book, a bookshelf. You're building a library full of books, and you're trying to mix and match and set to collect different types of books. It looks really pretty, and apparently the gameplay is really good, and it's from Renegade. So I'm not surprised. There's so much interest in it. I certainly am, and that's Ex Libris. And then after that. Okay, folks, I think this is the last. No, it's not. I was about to say this is the last of the tied for number 11s, but there's um, one more afterwards. Altiplano, which is from Reiner Stockhausen. And I'm just going to say one thing. Bag builder. And if you need explanation for what that means, I'm going to say one more thing. 
Orleans. So Orleans, amazing bag building, um, engine building Euro game from designer Reiner Stockhausen. Reiner, you know, and since then he's done a couple expansions for it, tons of promos for it, and Orleans just keeps getting better and better and better and better and better. And now Reiner's doing something new. I guess it's a spiritual sequel to Orleone called Altiplano. It's a bag builder. I imagine you're going to be pulling workers out of your bag to do radically different things. I don't know what those things are. I don't care. This is one of those sight unseen. This should be in my top 10 solely based on how amazing Orleone is. That's Altiplano. And I'm not alone. A lot of people think it. 404 people must have this game. Then we move on to Agra from Quind Games and, um, oh, Michael Keller. Once again, one of the co-designers of Elysium. So I'm implicitly interested. And my understanding is this is a much, much heavier, more complex, more rich, lots more stuff going on style game um, than Elysium was. And hey, what is up with this? I mentioned um, Raja of the Ganges earlier saying, wow, uh, this is really cool. A Euro style game set in 16th century India. Here's another one. Um, in Agra, India, this is set in the year 1572, 16th century India. I'm sure it's a radically different game. And like I said, this one apparently is much, much heavier. Um, a lot of it is focused on manufacturing of goods and area control and all kinds of stuff. It also apparently has an amazing table presence with kind of like this three-dimensional board that has some kind of meaning for it as well. I have to admit, I haven't paid much attention to it, just like I haven't for Raja the Gone. I'm in because of the theme. I'm in because of the designer. I'm in because of the publisher. Quind Games as well. I'm in on Agra. Then let's move on to Queen Domino. And by the way, I didn't mention it. I didn't leave it on the list, but King Domino is on this list as well. I guess maybe, once again, getting into Germany for the first time. I'm not sure. But Queen Domino is the new sequel slash expansion for King Domino. And now King Domino was a really, really cool little tile-laying game. And Queen Domino seems to add a lot of really cool new ideas to the core formula and branches out and makes it, I think, a deeper, more of a gamer game and less of a gateway game. Yes, please, because it already had a really cool core central mechanism. So I'm definitely interested to see what Mr. Cathalo, Bruno Cathalo, the designer, adds in Queen Domino. Okay, how about Gaia Project? And now this one I'm confused about. Um, Because as near as I can tell, I don't see any evidence that there will be an English version of Gaia Project at Essen Spiel, that it will be coming out sometimes after. At least not according to this. There's going to be a German version, and I think there's going to be a Dutch version, and I think there's going to be a Portuguese version, and there's just going to be all these versions, but I didn't see. And I could be wrong about this. I might have missed it, but I didn't see anything about an English version. Um, Maybe that's okay. Maybe it's completely language independent, although I haven't actually looked yet. But... Gaia Project is another one of these epic 3X explore, expand, and exploit the deep reaches of space. And it is effectively a sequel reimagining of Terra Mystica, which is one of the most highly rated games of all time. Still um, ranks super high on BoardGameGeek. And the designers of that have now revisited their formula, introduced a lot of cool changes and tweaks to the base game, like variable boards, which you have me right there. That was always my number one complaint about 
Terramistka was the static board that didn't do any scaling for player count. Ah! Well, hey, now it's a modular board built out uh, different every single time you play, and I'm sure it's smaller for fewer number of players. I'm sure there's lots of other improvements to the Terramistka formula. I'm sure it's going to be a great, well-loved game that people will be talking about for years to come. I just hope it works better for two than Terra Mystica did. That's my only hesitance. And then, oh, also, I hope I can actually play it because there will be an English version. I just don't know. But, uh, so that's, interestingly, of all the games, besides my top ten, that are at Essence Spiel, that people are ranking, basically, of this top 90, I've done. I'm here, folks. Um, I'm at the number one with 691 people saying they must have this. And this is the other game that would be tied. It's tied for number 11. It should make it into my top 10 because I know I want it. I've played it. I've filmed a run through for it. Clans of Caledonia, which at the time I said is a Terra Mystica killer for me and Jen. Terra Mystica didn't deliver for us. Clans of Caledonia did by taking a lot of the core ideas of Terra Mystica, but adding so many other cool ones, setting it in a theme that was much more attractive to us. Um, you know, Highland Scotland, a beautiful presentation, brilliant gameplay, probably going to be one of the best games of the year. And, um, and it's interesting to see, in terms of people who must have, 691 versus 662. Because this is the year of Clans of Caledonia versus Gaia Project. They both have the Terra Mystica DNA woven through, but they both handle it in very different ways. It'll be really interesting to compare and contrast both of these. But that's it, folks. I've made it. I have just now talked through 90 games, but I've got 10 more to go. So hang on, everybody. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody, welcome back. We made it through 90. Now it's just those final 10. Um, thanks for sticking with me. I assume you must be on a plane or a train, something like that, heading to Essen right now, because otherwise, why you would have listened for so long, I can't imagine. But these final 10, I've been saying all the way through, are kind of an odd collection for me. Um, it's why I kept coming back to, oh, this is tied for number 11, because here's the thing about the number 10. Let me see. Um, one, two... Three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of these ten I've already played, I've already filmed run-throughs for, and I already own. Um, there's only three of them that I do not actually... Is that right? That one? That one? No, only two. Yeah, th there's only three of them that I don't have here right now. So that's the thing. When I set out to make my top 100, I could have said, well, let me do a true top 100 that's only what I am interested in that I haven't already played. I know a lot of reviewers do that, and I don't understand why, because that doesn't help you folks. Just because I've gotten advanced copies of games um, doesn't suddenly mean that they don't. those games aren't worthy of being in a top 10 just because I already play them. Um, so I'm treating this list like it is, uh, like, like I'm just uh, a standard consumer going to Essen and I've made my list. I don't own any games that are going to be put out at the show for the first time. And which ones should I bring back? Which hundred or, or which ten should I bring back? That's how I did this. And that's why so many of the ones I've talked about, I've already played. I already own, including several of these top tens. And so that's why there were so many um, in, the, in the previous where I kept having to say, oh, this should really be in the top ten. Because if this were a top ten only of the games that I have yet to play and am personally excited because I've never gotten to see them before, this would be a very different top ten. But like I said, just, just, for, just to be clear, 
This is a list of games that if I were just a regular consumer, um, a fan on BoardGameGeek, watching other people's videos, these would be the ones I would decide to seek out based on the knowledge that I have. So, without further ado, let's start with number 10, A Tale of Pirates, which is... Oh, one of the ones that I've already done a run-through for. And wow. I mean, I've been waiting for this game for years. Since it was originally called Admiral of the Black, uh, I think it was announced like two or three years ago from Cranio Creations, and then just year after year, it didn't come out. Finally, it's coming out, and it's better than I could have hoped for. This is a real-time cooperative game, and you can check out my run-through to um, see Jen and me play through an entire session of this to get an idea of how it plays. But anyway, this is a cooperative game where players are doing worker placement on the deck of a pirate ship. And the pirate ship is awesome because it's a little 3D model uh, that you actually have to build out of cardboard pieces as part of setup. Once you've built it, you don't have to build it again, and it, um, the box is really well designed so that everything fits back in without having to take everything apart. Nice, super nice design on this game. Gameplay design, but also component design. But anyway... Um, You've got this ship, and you're racing against the clock because it's a real-time cooperative game. And the workers you place in the various stations to load the cannon or fire the cannon or steer the ship or be on the lookout or whatever it might be um, are hourglasses. So you have to um, you know, put the hourglass in the spot to do the action you want to do, and then you've got to wait 30 seconds before you can do the action. And in a game where you've only got a few minutes to achieve what you're trying to do, having to wait those 30 seconds is agonizing. Um, but during those 30 seconds, that's when you're talking to your fellow um, pirates to decide, right, who's going to do what next? Because one player can't do everything. You have to coordinate your actions. Okay, I'm, 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 about, I'm about to be ready to fire this cannon, but oh no, um, the, you know, the cannon exploded. Could you quickly go over there and repair the cannon? Because I don't want to have to leave because I already spent time here getting ready to fire. If nobody repairs it, I can't fire. You know, th- th- that kind of stuff pops up quite a bit. And it's a blast to play. Um, as, and the other thing that's really amazing about this game, too, is it has this epic story that is told through mission after mission after mission as more and more elements uh, get added to the game. New types of gameplay, new actions you can do with your hourglasses, new threats to take down, new chapters in the story. Uh, and I, it's, it's really, really cool. At this point, Jen and I, we're only about halfway through, but we have been loving it. And if all that weren't enough, this game also... It, now, for some people, this is going to be... Uh, you know, a deal ender right here. But this game actually requires that players use an app. It's a real-time game, and so, of course, you need to have a timer to keep track of your five minutes you have. And so the app does that, but then the app also throws um, surprise obstacles your way during the countdown, which is something that you know just a regular sand timer wouldn't be able to do. So they can keep you on your toes. Also, it's interesting thing is this is a game that gets you into the gameplay very, very quickly because at, at start, there's very little in the way of rules. As you play through more and more, the app will reveal more and more rules to you. So the app integration is great. Although if you watch my run through, you'll notice I did have some, I had more complaints about the way the app is implemented than I did the game itself. And I've talked to the publishers and they're still, you know, the beautiful thing about apps in board games is. After the game ships, if the developers get feedback that, oh, people would really like to see this, this, or this, it can be added after the fact. You can't um, you know, 
retroactively change a board game. It's written in stone, but the digital component can keep advancing, and I'm looking forward to see what they continue to do with the app. The gameplay is great. It's it's a blast. Watch my run-through to watch me and Jen just have just a nonstop um, fun time for however long I filmed it for. Um, really, really phenomenal, excellent stuff. My number 10, Tale of Pirates. And now, Let's move on to number nine, This War of Mine, which I guess is getting its uh, big European release at Essen Spiel 2017. Now, I have done a lot, a lot of video on this game. Back when it was on Kickstarter, was it last year? Or might have even been the year before. I don't really quite remember for sure. I, I did a big, long, epic run-through. And then when I finally got a, the, uh, the Kickstarter edition... Um, I did another update to show how all the rules have changed. And then I did an updated Final Thoughts because I had been played the game a lot more and um, whatnot. And so I had a lot to say. That Final Thoughts was about an hour long. Um, I, if you're going to watch it, I recommend you do so at 2x speed to try to get through it because, man, there is so much to say. And now I'm not going to spend another hour repeating myself about how amazing and how important this game is as a milestone for the development of the overall board game industry, the art of board game development. This War of Mine does a lot of really important things. One, more than anything else, it is a work of art. It is... Um, it is the developers trying to um, show their perspective of something that happens in our in in in, in the human experience, and um, you know allow players to go on a journey that brings them out the other side as wiser, more well-rounded people. This has the game I mentioned in my my final thoughts has the potential to make you a better person because you will have had the opportunity to. I mean, you think you understand the horrors of war, and you're like, oh yeah, war is terrible, and yeah, and um, and what's going on in the Middle East? That's a real problem, and oh, but you know what? I gotta get back to collecting. Pokemon Go or whatever, you know, um, it, it, it just doesn't have an impact in most of our day to day life. Playing this war of mine puts you in that world in a much more meaningful way than, you know, watching the evening news or a 60 minute story or heck, even watching a, a feature film or a TV show because it puts you into this world and forces you to make the same types of harrowing decisions, life or death decisions that regular civilians have to make in times of war because that's what this war of mine is all about. You're not a brave soldier. You're a regular everyday Joe or Jane just trying to survive and keep your family and your friends alive and just survive and until the end of this war. It's amazing. I, 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 I'm in danger of actually doing a whole other hour on it right now, so I'm just going to stop right there and say, I think even... Uh, you know The gameplay itself, it's good. It's solid gameplay. It's an interesting mix of kind of push-your-luck with worker placement and stuff like that, resource management. Um, there's some combat, dice rolling, and various things. I enjoy the gameplay, but what I enjoy more is the overall experience. The um, you know the way that this game transports me into the, into a real world, into a real situation, and makes gives me a greater appreciation for the human condition. Uh, you know that, that that's an amazing accomplishment, and that's why this War of Mine is number nine on my must check out list of S in twenty seventeen. Of course, I've already checked all this out, but even if I hadn't. Knowing what I know about this war of mine, it would be at the top of my list of things to seek out at the show. But now let's move on to number eight, Santa Maria. And now, 
I have to admit, I was very, very surprised with this. I was very confident this was going to be a good game because it was from the designer of Avenue and Escape Curse of the Temple and, and a bunch of other games that I've really, really enjoyed. Jen, I've really enjoyed um, oh, um, Automania and several others besides. So Jen and I, we've enjoyed these designers' work. So I was confident it would be good. Um, and it was a dice drafting game, which is, um, well, I can't speak for Jen, but it's certainly my favorite gameplay mechanism of all time. So, uh, and it's a, you know, it's, on the surface, it's just a normal, dry, um, just a soulless Euro-style game. You're running a you're, 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 you're running a colony in the New World in Santa Maria, trying to you know build your colony to be stronger and run it to get more resources to pursue different agendas and stuff like that. Standard, typical Euro stuff. But man, this game so elevates. The, um, the, the economic euro. This is, um, for, forget about top 10 Essen games to pick out. This is easily, easily going to be in my top 10 games of the year. And I didn't really expect it because I thought it was just going to be more of the same. But the decisions that are forced on you, because you, draw, you draft dice and then the die you end up taking determines what portion of your colony you can activate to be able to get special powers and stuff like that. And so you're always building with an eye towards the dice you can draft. But those dice might get drafted by somebody else at any given time. You're always drafting with an eye towards how can you best run your colony. And those two halves of this symbiotic gameplay circle that this game creates are amazing. Um... It's not a super heavy game, but the ramifications for every choice you make are so deep and so long-reaching. Stuff you do at the beginning of the game, will you'll be like, why did I do this at the end of the game? Or you'll be like, oh, thank God I did this. I'm brilliant at the end of the game. Your, your decisions are so meaty and impactful. It is so compelling. It's also a very fast game. Um, it looks nice. And uh, overall, I mean, I'm just blown away when I first played Santa Maria. So that's why it's my number eight. And now on to number seven. Here is the first of the three games that I do not have. Um, and it is called Hunt for the Ring. Now, I'm very, very stoked for this because, well, one, my wife is the biggest Lord of the Rings geek in the universe. I think she's a bigger Lord of the Rings geek than a Harry Potter geek, I think. Although it depends on what what uh, you know, what time of the day you catch her, I suppose. But uh, she loves Lord of the Rings. And we played most of the uh, the Lord of the Rings style, Euro style games that are on the market. This is the latest ones coming out. And I think this might prove to be our favorite because this is a hidden movement game where one player takes on the role of Nazgul and the other player or players, if you have more than two players, takes on the role of or one player is Gandalf trying to guide Frodo through all the adventures he's going to have to get to Mount Doom and destroy the ring. The other players, or player, control the Nazgul who are trying to find Frodo and stop him. Stop me if you've heard this story. So, the, the setting, it works, it's great, it's immediately compelling. Of course, we, everybody loves this story, you want to get in. But there's a few things that are interesting. I mean, the, the interesting thing is um, Frodo is not directly under any player's control. Frodo is the target for the Nazgul players. we got to find him. we got to swallow his soul and um, win the game. The, the hidden player is Gandalf. And Gandalf does not have perfect control over what Frodo does. Gandalf can manipulate Frodo and try, okay, well, look, you really need to be going over here and doing this. And maybe he will, maybe he won't. And the other thing Gandalf can do is run interference for Frodo. Because unlike most hidden movement games where, okay, well, yeah, I'm uh, Mr. X or I'm Dracula or whatever, you just try to spend the entire game hidden um, and just stay one step ahead of the hunters 
in this game, if I understand it correctly, it would make sense for you to, oh my God, they're about to find Frodo. Uh, hello, everybody, come over here. And you'll and put yourself out there so that um, you know the, the, the other players will know where you are and come for you because, of course, they're chasing after Gandalf as well. You know, the fact that the hidden player has a reason. Now, again, I have not read the rules. This is my assumption of what they would do based on the fact that the hidden player... Um, does it doesn't matter whether they get to Mount Doom. The hidden player has a responsibility of taking care of this other hidden character who is under control by the game, and you can't be totally sure what he's going to do. I think that is brilliant. I absolutely love that idea. That is really fresh and interesting and new in the genre of hidden movement. And Jedi, we've been looking for a hidden movement game that we could really enjoy. For various reasons, none of them have really clicked with us, and I think this might finally be the one. Um, so I, I cannot express how excited I am to finally get to check out Hunt for the Ring. And then we move on to my next game that we don't actually have um, here, although I have played it. Earlier this year, I was at a convention called Lyricon, where Matt Gertz was demoing his um, latest big uh, epic Euro, Transatlantic. Now, it used to be called Steamship Company, and I think even before that, it was just called Ships or something like that. But now, its official name is Transatlantic. And... Um, uh, when I got to play it uh, earlier this year, I was blown away because at the time, I likened it to Mackerts made Hamburgum, which was a very, very cool Rondell game. It worked really well. But then after that, he made Navigador that took what Hamburgum did and blew it up in a million directions and made it so much more than you ever would have thought it could have been just having played Hamburgum. You know, um, Transatlantic is doing the same thing with Concordia. Because Transatlantic, at the core of it, it uses the same, i uh, got to play my cards, eventually got to spend a turn to call them all back before I can do these actions again, gameplay system that Concordia does. And sometimes I copy the actions of other players and whatnot. But instead of being set in um, you know, ancient Rome, trying to colonize the whole known world, and I'm doing a lot of area control, instead, this is an economic industry game where players are trying to build transatlantic steamships um, and build better and better ships, get them into port, um, get them moving from place to place, get them um, transferring passengers all around. You're, um, the end goal of the card-driven gameplay is much richer and more robust and more complex than, right, okay, I just want to make sure I get over to this other house here, and I want to make sure I have enough of these cards so I get lots of bonus points at the end of the game. This is a much deeper, meatier game. The core gameplay is just as compelling because Concordia was so brilliant, but now it's pushing an engine that is so much richer and comes to life. And I guess to me anyway, is a little bit more uh, immediate and engaging because, of course, it's not set in the modern time. It's set basically around the end of the 19th, early 20th century, um, you know, as the rise of the steamship came about. It's also, by the way, a love letter to steamships because Matt Kurtz, man, when I was talking to him about this, he was so passionate about this subject. Um, and, you know, and it shows in, you know, he's been working on this game for years and years and years. This, this year was not the first time I played it. I've played it at Essen in the past. And he's just been constantly refining it and getting it to where it's just perfect. And it's finally going to be here, folks. And that's why it's number six on my list, Transatlantic. And now, for number five, the last game I don't own. So numbers four, three, two, and one are all going to be games I've done run-throughs for, and we'll get to those in a second. But right now, let's talk about number five, Loot Island. From What's Your Game, and I think I've said this before, What's Your Game, they... If I were to ever do a top 10 game publishers, what's your game? They'd easily, easily be in the top three. They might be number one. Um, because I, I 
love the fact that they are the torchbearers um, for big, meaty, heavy Euros. They're not the only ones doing it, but every year when a What's Your Game game comes out, you know um, you're going to get a really rich, intricate, lovely, beautifully designed, carefully crafted Euro-style experience. Uh, you know, I mean, they just they, they can do no wrong. I, I love what they do. But the interesting thing is most of their games are definitely on the heavier side. Loot Island is a return to a, was a brief moment a few years ago when they put out a lighter game. And amongst all their normal, big, crazy, heavy Euros, they put out this smaller box lighter game called Oddville. Oddville is a phenomenal game. Jen and I absolutely love it to tears. It's one of our favorite uh, What's Your Game games. And I've always thought, man, they do amazing big, uh, meaty Euros. How come they don't do more of these, like kind of little light, light to medium weight ones? I've been waiting for another one from them for years, and Loot Island is it. It is, like I said, a smaller box, smaller game, still deep, still rich, but quicker to play, not quite so complex, not quite so destroys your brain and melts your skull kind of a thing, um, and is very, very cool and fun and evocative. In this game, players are all members of the same pirate a crew, a pirate ship, and this ship is basically circling around Loot Island, going into bays to be able to collect treasure. And the closest thing I could draw a parallel to would be a, a game called Tobago, which is a game where players all worked cooperatively to build treasure maps to find out where the treasure was on the island of Tobago. In this game, players are working cooperatively to create all these caches of treasure around the map. Um, uh, so that if they've contributed to a given cache, when the ship pulls in, they'll get they'll be able to get something out of it as well. Um, you know, and so sometimes players want to make sure, oh, you know. You know, I, I've contributed heavily. Nobody else has contributed heavily. I want to make sure we get to that port quickly, so I'll get a bigger benefit than anybody else. But there are so many things you can do. There are so many special powers that do things like make the ship go 180 degrees in the other direction, or skip, or um, you know, do wild cards by combining. I mean, there's a million things you can do. The game is. It's light, it's fast, it's simple, it's fun, it's very interactive. And that's an interesting thing, too. The game does have some teeth to it. And normally, that's an instant um, shut-off turndown for me and Jen, because we, okay, we just don't want to do this game. But this game, when I played it earlier this year at Laracon, it was so good. I played it once as a four-player game, and then immediately I demanded, you must let me play this game as a two-player game, because I want to see if it's going to be good for me and Jen. Um, and you know, even though it was a game where sometimes you got to be a little sneaky and try to um, uh, undo the plans of your opponents. The gameplay was so resplendent um, that I'm, I'm still excited for it anyway. And that's why it's on my number five, Loot Island. Now, let's talk about number four. Steffenfeld is back, baby. It's Merlin time. Yeehaw. I'm sorry to say I have not filmed a run-through for this one. It just showed up the other day. I backed it on Kickstarter um, because I know some people have had a problem with Queen games on Kickstarter. Every time I've backed a game on Kickstarter from Queen, it has shown up very, very quickly. Well, I've gotten it weeks or even months before it was available um, you know, in retail, and it was a reasonable price because uh, they always threw in extra little stuff. So I've always been very happy with them, and I'm very, very happy I did it because there's Merlin right there on my shelf. Jen and I, we played it a couple times now, and oh my gosh, Feld is back, baby. Now, I'm not saying this is his best, but... This is a really, really cool, cool game. And unfortunately, I probably won't be doing a run-through for it for a while. Um, because at any given time, I've always got so many review copies that publishers have sent to me. I've always got to prioritize, prioritize, 
prioritize those higher than the games that I buy for myself. But I will take a moment to tell you what it's all about. It is set in the age of Arthurian legend. Um, we are all knights competing to be Arthur's replacement because he has to pick one of us when he steps down. So, of course, we're trying to get a lot of points. The board is the round table, and um, all around the round table are different action spaces, and each of us has a little marker, and we're moving clockwise on your turn. Um, you move clockwise, usually. Sometimes, if you get special powers, you can go counterclockwise. And wherever we land, we do that action. Here's the thing. This is a roll and move game because it's not like a rondelle where, okay, I will always choose to move one, two, or three, and if I want to move extra, I can spend some money. This is a pure game where every round, I roll some dice. These are the numbers I've got. These tell me how far I can move. This is what's amazing to me about this game. It's pure roll and move. That is the beating heart of this game, you know, which is the ultimate insult to modern uh, designer board game fans. Roll and move. That's what I played when I was a kid. Nothing good can come of roll and move. Merlin did, and Merlin is great because they just he did a simple little thing. You, on your turn, you don't just roll one die and say, oh, well, I guess the die tells me what I can do. That's it. At the beginning of a round, you roll three dice, and then um, you're going to use... Uh, you, you roll a one, a six, and a two. You're going to use that six to move six spaces, and then on your next turn, you're going to move that two to move two spaces, and on your next turn, you're going to move that one to move one. Now, you don't have to do them in that order, and that's where all the gameplay comes from because as soon as I see what my three dice are, and I look ahead to where I am, and I can see that, okay, a six followed by a two followed by one, those will be my three next actions. A one followed by a six followed by two would be these actions. Oh, but if I do a one and then a six, that's going to actually let me do something that will change. So I don't have to do this two because then I can go counterclockwise. So it'd really be a one, a six, and then instead of an eight, it would be a four. And you spend so much time at the beginning of every round. Okay, I roll. Okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to use these? How am I going to work my way around? Because, of course, you need in a given turn to get over this place to exert your influence um, you know, in this particular principality. Or you need desperately to get over here to deploy one of your henchmen so that they can help you spread your um, you know, influence around the board or whatever it might be. But you know, I can't get to that because I rolled a six and a two. And, um, the, and the thing is at a four. Well, you know what? If you get that special power, let's go counterclockwise, move the six, and then move the two back. It's it's such a cool, fun, simple, elegant idea. But it means throughout the entire game, you're making fun, interesting decisions in what's got to be, I would say, uh, Feld's most thematic game to date. Um, yeah, just because you know the world comes alive. All the actions you're actually doing, um, conquering land out in the air, or not conquering land, building manors, which will get you access to special powers, spreading your influence, um, you know, deploying your henchmen to various areas, so much stuff. Really, really great, and we very much enjoyed it. I'm very, very happy to have it. I don't have to wait till lesson. I've got it right now. Thank you, uh, Kickstarter. That's my number four, Merlin. And now, let's move on to number three. Another Kickstarter game. I've done quite a bit of videos for this. I might have done more run-throughs for this than any other game in history. It is Gloomhaven, which is making its retail debut here at Essence Or Gloomhaven, I should say, second edition. Of course, the first Kickstarter was released. It was in retail for a while and disappeared immediately because it was just gone like that. The second edition, which cleans up some of the cards and just makes some other little changes, changes some of the components. The core game is the same, but it's definitely an improved second edition. Um, the Kickstarter was done earlier this year, and now retail fulfillment is happening. And you can go to Essence Spiel and pick up a copy of Gloomhaven. And what can I say, folks? I strongly suggest you do. 
Um, as I recently revealed in my top 10 most played games of all time, Jen and I have played Gloomhaven more than any other game in the world. We've played Gloomhaven more than most other games combined. We have spent so much time in this epic, awesome, legacy fantasy game um, this year that uh, you know, it defies description. It is an amazing accomplishment. It does so many great, wonderful things, uh, which I won't even go into here. It's a legacy game, although for people who don't like legacy, it's very legacy light for people who are turned off by that. In fact, there are even anti-legacy kits you can get for Gloomhaven so that you don't have to put stickers on cards if you don't want to. Or you can just take notes if you don't want to. So it's light on the legacy, but it's so heavy on the storytelling, the campaign, and the really rich, deep, meaningful, card-driven skirmish combat gameplay. Skirmish combat gameplay is generally not something you find Jen and I are particularly keen on. But in this game, it's so amazingly good. We, I mean, I, if I could, I'd be playing it right now. Um, absolutely love it to death. My number three, as available at Essen uh, 2017, is Gloomhaven. And then my number two, hey folks, it's time for Charterstone, uh, which I have recently finished playing. I've almost played this game 20 times now, so that I I could do my run-through because it's a legacy game. I had to play through the whole campaign to be able to see how everything is at. I've played it a lot more since because, unlike most legacy games, Risk Legacy, I think, did this as well. This game comes with rules. Actually, I shouldn't say unlike most. Unlike Pandemic Legacy. Pandemic Legacy is the only legacy game on the market that did not come with rules that say, right, after you finish the campaign, here's how you continue playing. Uh, Gloomhaven does it, and uh, Risk Legacy does it, and... Uh, Charterstone does it as well. And Jen and I, we have very much enjoyed going back into the city that we have built over the course of a dozen or more um, scenarios and created this, this thing that is completely unique to us. Charterstone is an insanely fast, high-tension, quick-moving worker placement game where every single time you play, you make permanent changes to the world that um, will inform what happens the next time you play. It's great. It's brilliant. We absolutely love it. Uh, you can watch my run-through. You can watch my final thoughts. Uh, if I didn't have it, it would be the second most important thing for me to walk out of Essen with. I would not leave without a copy of it because uh, it, it's not perfect. You can watch my final thoughts, which are spoiler-free, by the way. The run-through is pretty much spoiler-free as well. Um, it's not perfect. There's a few little things that I would like to see improved, but on the whole, we had so much fun with it. I, I'm very confident in my choice of putting it number two, Charterstone. But number one, of course, of course, it has to be Pandemic Legacy Season 2. And there's nothing much more for me to say about that. Pandemic Legacy Season 1 provided the single most powerful and impactful and meaningful gameplay experience I've ever had in my life. A one specific mission. And on the whole, it was an amazing game. Well, I, I have played through Pandemic, season, Pandemic Legacy Season 1 through the campaign twice with two different copies of the game. We have played it probably a half a dozen times continuing um, by using the board we built to get to play more and more games. And um, yeah, it was an incredible investment in gameplay, and now the sequel is finally here. Um, I know nothing about this. Actually, that's not true. I do know a little bit. Uh, I've tried to go and know nothing. I, I don't want to know when it happens, where it happens. I don't want to know how it connects to the events in the first game. I wanted to go in as pure and virginal as possible so that the first time I open that box, my eyes open like saucers and a grin spreads across my face as I realize, oh my gosh, this is what's going to happen. Now, unfortunately, I have actually learned a few things. And in fact, apparently, somebody just warned me today. Uh, just today, the, um, the publisher, Asmodee, 
or Z-Man put out a new video that actually spoils some major stuff in there. And like, ah, no, no spoilers, no back-of-the-box spoilers, no nothing. I, all I know is, that's why I can't say anything about this other than I have nothing but the highest hopes for what I'm sure will be an absolutely amazing experience. Will it be better than Gloomhaven? That's been tough. Will it be better than Santa Maria? Man, that's a tough one to beat, too. Um, But I have no doubt it'll be one of the best games of the year, and I am counting the seconds until I get to play it. And that's it, folks. My number one uh, most anticipated game for Essence Field 2017, Pandemic Legacy Season 2. And, phew, I made it. Um... Tell you what, folks, uh, if now you would like to stick around and continue with this podcast, we're going next into expansions, expansion, expansion. What expansions would you, would I like to pick up at Essence Peel? We'll cover that next. And then finally, if I've got the strength, I'll talk about what games to demo at the show. So hold on, everybody. We'll be right back. Okay, well, let's talk about expansions. I've got a list of 40 that are of interest to me. Although, it's a bit of a cheat because I don't know what's up with this new uh, trend where a game will say, and hey, instead, of, here's our expansion uh, in a box. Instead, they'll do, oh, here's like four different little baby expansions. Pick and choose which ones you want. It's fine. I guess there's nothing wrong with it. It all comes out in the wash. But it does make my life a little bit more differently because I look at it and say, well, hey, I don't want to have to list this one game 15 times because I have to have 15 little micro-expansions. So, while I say 40, there are actually more. And sometimes I just coalesced all the expansions of one or more game into just a single thing. And in fact... That's true for the first one, because, again, I've got this sorted based on the Board Game Geek user base must-haves. And the one at the bottom of the list, and this is a shame because I think more people should want this, is the set of different expansions that are going to be available for import-export. I already mentioned import-export in the game section, so in addition to this, you can buy... There's, I forget what, like half a dozen different different um, little additions to the game that were, you know, popped up during the Kickstarter campaign. And now, if you pick this up at Essen, you'll be able to get them. I have no idea if you'll be able to pick them up after Essen is over. But if you're at all interested in import-export, I would strongly recommend going all in and getting all of the stuff instead of just the base game. Because uh, the game is so cool, and more of it is just going to be better. But now, let's move on to the next one. Oh, this is a sweetie. A little sweetie pie. Dale of Merchants, the Systemic Eurasian Beavers. Um, This is basically just a promo. If you pick up a copy of Dale of Merchants or Dale of Merchants 2, I've done run-throughs for both. I strongly recommend both. Go check out my run-throughs. They are neat little deck building and deck construction at the same time games with really nice art. You know, it's funny. A lot of people talk about Ryan Lockett of Red Raven Games as the wunderkind of the industry because he does the game design and he does the game art and he does the game production and he does everything. He runs the Kickstarter campaign. He does everything all by himself. And I'm like... What about poor Sammy Lasco, um, who is the designer of Dale of Merchants? He is a one-stop shop. He does the art, he does the design, does everything. And so far, his two games, the Dale of Merchants, are delightful. They're wonderful deck builders. Um, Again, check out my run-through for more. And know that if you pick one up at Essen, one or both, you'll get a neat little promo, the uh, Systematic Eurasian Beavers. All righty. Which will make more sense if you know more about the game. Next up, we've got Rhodes, the Colossus. Now, I did a run-through for Rhodes 
a few months ago. And it's a very, very cool, interesting game that's kind of like a lighter version of Panama. Or, um, yeah, yeah. Or no, not Panama. Panamax. In that it's a game where players have estates where they raise goods and then they try to ship them off to Rhodes, the main market city, to score victory points. But all the goods have to be shipped up this canal. And when I move my ship up the canal, I end up pushing your ships, who are ahead of me in the queue, further along. And while ships are in these canal, player can buy, any player can buy any resources they want off of anybody's ship. So there's a huge amount of interaction between players. Positive interaction as opposed to, oh, I'm just going to try and drink your milkshake and destroy everything. So I was really impressed by the game. But I mentioned when I did my run-through, I was super stoked because an expansion is coming for it that introduces full cooperative play. And that is this, Colossus Rhodes, the Colossus, where players, in addition to everything else they're doing in the base game, can now um, focus on trying to build up the Colossus of Rhodes itself, which is a cool addition to the game. Now, one thing I'm a bit worried about, though, is originally my understanding was it was going to be, there'd be pure cooperative elements. And from the description here, it sounds like it might be semi-cooperative. It creates interesting interaction and cooperative play, with a cooperative in um, quotes, but still only one player can win. So that doesn't sound like what I was hoping for. But the core game is great. I'm still interested to see what this adds to the goings-on for Rhodes. And that is Rhodes the Colossus. Then we've got... Oh my gosh, so many different expansions for Valeria, for Villages of Valeria, and Quests of Valeria, and Valeria Card Kingdoms. Expansions coming out the ears. I am not going to list them all. They're all coming, these individual little, uh, you know, individual wrappers, kind of like how you can buy a Magic of the Gathering booster, although there's no randomness to this. You're getting, you know exactly what you're getting. It's just you can choose to get little mini expansion A, B, or C. There's a lot of them. As I mentioned in the back in the main 90, Valeria, we've enjoyed all their games. So if you enjoy Valeria, why not get all these expansions while you're there? And then next up, this is interesting. Um, I did a run-through for Catacombs, which, Jen, I absolutely love. A cool disc-flicking fantasy game where one player is a dungeon master controlling all the monsters and the other players, player or players control the heroes. So, um, Catacombs got a sequel, which I haven't played, called Catacombs and Castles. And I wasn't interested in that because that changes on its head where it's a free-for-all. It's player versus player or team versus team. And it gets rid of that more asymmetrical element that is one of the things we really love about Catacombs. And everybody's just in their own corner fighting to take everybody else out. Never really been that interested. But as it happens, Catacombs, Catacombs and Castles, which is also, I think, getting a European launch at Essen, along with its launch, it's got... Like I think like three different expansions worth of content. And these aren't little baby ones. These are like more sizable expansions. And they're made for catacombs and castles, but my understanding is they will work with regular catacombs. So I can use the regular catacombs, um, one versus all rules, the dungeon master rules that we like, but I can add these new things like boards that have pits that your disc can fall into, or the wervens that um, you know the dungeon master can take control to control them, but then the hero players can capture them and ride around on them. And so there's a lot of really cool additions to catacombs in the form of expansions for catacombs and castles. So that was kind of a weird one, but it's pretty cool. And that was another, hey, there's several of them, but I'm just entering them as one. Like the uh, Keystone and Keeps is one of them, but there are a few other ones as well. Next up, there is an expansion. I was surprised by this. An expansion for NIMBY. 
uh, which its name is The Bee's Knees. Now, I did a run-through for this earlier this year. Uh, NIMBY is a very sweet, charming little rondelle game where um, players are bees. They fly out uh, to get the uh, pollen, to bring it back in, to make the honey. And all the while, they're trying to keep the queen happy. And the board is a rondelle. The board is the hive. The hive is a rondelle as we move through and do our daily bee business. It was a neat, charming little game. I know the designer originally designed it to play with his daughter, but then he found out, oh, hey, look, gamers like this too. And so he put it out, and it was a successful Kickstarter and all that. Um, but I thought that was it. Imagine my surprise. He's now put out a, um, an expansion called The Bee's Knees. And I've got the core game, uh, which is, of course, also available at Essen. So why not pick up the expansion while we're here? Uh, it's a little one. Looks like it just adds a few extra bonus cards. But hey, it's a sweet little charming game to begin with. All right, moving along. Oh, whoops. I didn't eliminate them all. I thought I had been good about this. Folks, I was a big fat liar when I said 40 because it looks like I was actually talking about 38, 37. Oh my gosh, I didn't get rid. I thought I got rid of all these duplicates. But hey, there's Catacombs and uh, Castle, Siege Defender, and Wervins and... Oh, all right, all right, well... Still, I guess I'm not doing a full 40 because I'm not going to talk about all the individual Catacombs and Castles expansions, even though I left them on the list. thought I had done better than that. I have failed, but I'm at my wit's end, folks. Oh, I'm so tired, but we're going to make it. We're going to make it through this. So let's move on to an expansion that isn't one of a bundle. Hey, Fantasy Defense. I talked about that earlier. It's a very, very cool campaign-driven two, one or two-player uh, cooperative tower defense card game. It's neat. Watch my run-through. You'll see why we liked it so much. And hey, its first expansion, the Stone King, which I assume just continues to drive the campaign even further forward, will be available. So if you pick up the game, you might as well get the expansion too. And then we have got... Oh, oh, oh. Um, the German version of a Tiny Epic Galaxy's Black Space. I already have the English version. I've done a run-through for that. But hey, it's available in German now. Tiny Epic Galaxies is great. Um, Black Space... Or no, is it Black Galaxies? I forget the exact name. I don't have the box in front of me. But auf Deutsch, it's um, Winziges Weltall. Um, uh, uh, Genzeit der Schwarze. Uh, which is um, Tiny Epic Galaxies. Oh, what is the original English name? This is driving me nuts. I can't remember. Um, Beyond the Black, that was the name. So, Tiny Epic Galaxies Beyond the Black is now, I assume it'll be available in English, but more importantly, it'll be available in German for all the German listeners out there. And boom, here's another Valeria. I thought I got rid of them all. Let's move on. I talked earlier about Petrichor, a game I'm not sure if it's going to work for me in Gen, but I'm interested to try it out, even more so because there's an expansion for it available called Flowers. And if Jen wouldn't have wanted to play this already, just by being a, happy to be a, a happy cloud moving around, um, watering all the land, that's a big deal for us in Malta, where we get almost no rainfall for the entire year. Now that you're watering flowers on top of it, forget about it. Petrichor gets that much more attractive. Then we've got a little mini promo expansion called Sparky for Flick'em Up Dead of Winter. I've already talked about Dead of Winter earlier. I think this is just one extra disc that is like your trusty survival dog, Sparky the dog, who can help you fight off the zombies. And so, of course, if you're going to get Flick'em Up um, Dead of Winter, you're going to pick up this expansion too. Of course you know you are, because how could you not? Then, ooh, now... Man, is this the first real expansion? No, no, not quite. But 
This is a this is a bigger deal. Peloponnese heroes and colonies. Longtime fans of my show know Peloponnese is in my top ten games of all time. In part because there are so many awesome expansion forts already. And hey, here's a new one that introduces two completely new concepts. Heroes that you can add to your kingdom and colonies. Two new totally types of tiles that we can be bidding for in the auctions. Amazing. I can't believe this. I, w- I would have thought for sure... Mm. Sorry. I would have thought for sure that Bernd Eisenstein was going to now double down on expanding Peloponnese the card game, because he already did Patronus for that. But he's going back to Peloponnese, baby! More Peloponnese goodness. I am not complaining. That is a must-have for me. Um, Heroes and Colonies. But moving along, oh, thank you very much, Donald X. Vaccarino, for bringing us more Kingdom Builder. A whole new expansion called Harvest that I'm sure... Well, as it says, adds many new strategic possibilities to this already classic game. I'm sure some people just did a spit take there, but yeah, I agree with that. I was reading off of the geek list, but Kingdom Builder is a phenomenal game, worthy of all the accolades it's gotten, and it's amazing that they keep giving it more support. You'd almost think it was from the designer of Dominion. Yay for more Kingdom Builder. And now, this is another one that's huge for me. This is the Tuluva Extension. I did a run-through of Tuluva, I think maybe this year, and I mentioned at that time that I've got the original first edition, and Tuluva recently got a big, lavish, deluxe makeover and added a bunch of new gameplay features, and all of those are denied me because I have the original. Thank you very, very much. Oh, all publishers, pay more attention to publisher Ferity, who have released a separate standalone expansion that adds the new deluxe stuff to those, for those of us who have the original first edition. Awesome! Yay, all publishers, pay attention. Uh, next up, this is another one of those combination ones. There are several different new maps available for small city. Uh, one of them is a collection of Asian cities, but there's a whole bunch more. I did a run-through for Small City. Small City is a brilliant game. It's already had a bunch of little ones, and now it's getting more little expansions as well. Um, and that's just one of them, the Asian cities. You can go check the, all those out um, from AB Studios. Uh, Alvin Viard, he just keeps knocking that stuff out. And if I recall correctly, I believe it's not just Small City that's getting um, expansion love. He's also doing new expansions for Tramways. I don't think he's doing any this year for Clinic or Town Center. But still, if you have enjoyed uh, Alvin Viard's work, he's given you plenty more this Essen. Next up, there is the Exosuit Commander Pack, and I think a couple of other expansions for Anachrony. I talked about why Anachrony was very cool. Um, it's amazing. Anachrony, just the base game has... The base game is like a normal game plus three expansions. So it's amazing to me. They've got even more ideas to add even more stuff in here. Uh, because I believe there's a few different expansions. But most importantly, like I talked about earlier, uh, you will be able to pick up the really awesome um, mech suits. The exosuit minis that are... Again, go watch my original run-through. They're really, really cool. And you would think, oh, who cares? A a Euro-style worker placement game doesn't need minis. 
you might change your tune after you see these things. Very, very cool. Then, zipping along, oh, there's some new Legends of Andor stuff. Um, Dark Heroes and, um, you know, oh, a big Legends of Andor collection, big box of everything that's come out so far. Lots of cool Andor love, but of course, it's all in German. Come on, Cosmos! You're killing me here, making me wait an extra six or eight months before this stuff comes out. Alf English. But I will wait patiently, and in the meantime, our Deutsche friends, our Deutsche Freundin, can enjoy more Legends of Andor goodness. Oh, this was a surprise. Another box of cards for Dixit. Um, you know, they're switching through to new artists now, um, and that's cool that they're keeping it alive. I mean, because, of course, Dixit is a major monster hit, so I'm not surprised that they're putting more stuff out. So that's lovely for Dixit fans. Ooh, this, I don't know, this might be my number one on the list. Because like I said, I didn't really... I was just, I'm just going by. We're over halfway through. 75 people say they must have it. But, um, and I'm one of them, because Agricola, the Artifacts deck. Yay! Another new deck of cards. And what's interesting, while this deck of cards is for the revised edition of Agricola, which I do not have, my understanding is that it is backwards compatible with my original first edition Agricola. So good job, look out. And, man, I just don't get this. Agricola continues to get all the love. Ever, all the board game geeks love Caverna, and Caverna just gets a few little promos, and that's it. But Agricola key is the gift that keeps on giving. Yet another reason that, in my book, Agricola greater than Caverna, thanks to Agricola Artifacts in, uh, Artifact, the Artifacts deck. Yay! Okay, moving right along. Ooh! More love thrown at Tash Kalar. It's the Etherweave expansion deck. I don't know what that means. Uh, the interesting thing um, is Vlada, uh, if, you know, the, Vlada Shvatl, the designer, is not doing this all himself. He is collaborating with Dave Turchi, who is the designer of Anachrony and Redacted. And, um, oh, some more games. I'm, I'm already, oh, uh, Kitchen Rush and more besides. So I think that's really, really cool that some new blood, some fresh blood is coming in to keep pushing Tash Kalar in new and interesting directions. I am so glad that CGE got the rights back so that Tash Kalar could get the uh, proper love it deserved. All righty, moving right along. Oh, Azul. I talked about Azul. That's going to be a very, very hot game. A lot of people are going for it in no small part because if you pick up Azul, you'll also be able to get Joker tiles. Now, according to this, you can only get them if you pre-order. So bear that in mind, folks. If you're just planning to walk up to the desk and say, Hi, I'd like Azul and the Joker tiles. They'll say, um, can I get your email address for your pre-order? And you'll say, oh... So, I mean, it's a promotion. That's what it's there to do. So if you want the full Azul experience, bear that in mind. Those Joker tiles are for pre-orders. Oh, I'm excited about this. An expansion for the Pursuit of Happiness. Pursuit of Happiness community. That is very, very cool. Really keen on this because, Jen, I really enjoyed Pursuit of Happiness. So more stuff to keep it alive and keep it growing, that is great news. Uh, oh, and also, speaking of keeping things alive and growing, how about Mystic Veil Mana Storm? This is another must-get. Jen and I, we both love Mystic Veil to pieces. And as I mentioned, when I did a video for all the expansions to date, I love how the expansions keep 
building on the story. Um, by it's, it's moving forward. You have to pay attention, but it's not just new and new gameplay elements that are getting added to the game, but new and new narrative elements are getting added to the world as it evolves. I think that's really cool. It's a subtle thing. Maybe not everybody pays attention to it, but for me, it helps bring the world of Mystic Veil vale alive all the more. So I'm excited for Man of Storm. Oh, this one, I'm worried. It says it's for German edition, so I worry it won't be available in English, which would be very sad, but that means I'll just have to wait longer for Port Royal, The Adventure Begins. Last year, I was raving, raving, raving about how big a deal it was that Alexander Pfister created an expansion for Oh My Goods that created story-driven campaign narrative play. Uh And I did the run-through for it. I still think it's amazing. I think it's a vanguard of things to come for the industry. Here it is coming. Alexander Pfister is now revisiting Port Royal, which he's already done a couple expansions for, and creating a new one that, again, is a story-driven narrative campaign expansion. Oh, yeah, baby! Keep on bringing it, Alexander. This is phenomenal. Plus, it doubles down on the co-op nature, which was already phenomenal. I did a run-through for it when I talked about the first expansion for Port Royal and demonstrated how the co-op works. So now this new expansion is all about the co-op, um, and we will get to have a big, epic pirate cooperative story adventure in what is, at its heart, a sweet little tiny um, push-your-luck card-drafting game. Amazing. Super excited. Okay, but then let's move on to Snowdonia, which I know is getting a couple of expansions as well. Well done, Tony. You keep on bringing more stuff. Uh, and it's interesting. This is coming from fans of, you know, I mean, there's so much love for Snowdonia out there that other developers are, or designers are saying, Tony, we've got this idea. Tony says, great, let's get it out there to the people. Keeping Snowdonia alive. Snowdonia totally deserves it. An absolutely phenomenal, one of the best worker placement games on the market. Check my run-through for more. Or my top ten worker placement games, for that matter. I'm pretty sure it made my top ten. Oh, that was years ago. But anyway, let's move on. Um, We have a little mini-expansion for Feast for Odin. Um, It's three new islands. uh, uh, Lofoten, Orkney, and Tierra del Fuego. Three new islands that you can colonize, which is cool. Cool, 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 cool. It's weird. It says it's German only, but I don't know that I'd, they'd be language independent, wouldn't they? Um, other than the names of the places themselves, uh, this is probably something that's worth picking up. Uh, definitely, because Feast for Odin is great. Oh, yeah. Now, I mentioned... I. Mentioned this in the main because I was so excited. Couldn't wait to uh, mention. This is another one of my top five must-haves if I had taken the time to uh, rank everything. Nations, the dice game, Unrest. Finally delivers on the one thing that Nations was missing. Nations, the dice game, was missing. Unique starting player setups. I complained about that a lot when I did my original run-through. I, I, you know, I shook my fist at the heavens and said, please, someday, uh, please, please, um, you know, nations, gods, Rustin, deliver unto us 
This, and he has finally done so. This is a must-have. Nations is already a great little game, and now it's going to be so much better. And by the way, it's not just unique starting nations. There's a bunch of other stuff in here, too. Um, you know, the whole unrest element, that your people won't necessarily stay happy, which, of course, was a not insignificant part of the original Big Brother nation. So I'm very stoked for this. After that, we've got a little promo for Lisboa. If you can pick Lisboa up, you might as well pick up the heavy cardboard promo, um, which which is a special made just for fans of the Heavy Cardboard Podcast, which is one of the best board game podcasts um, out there right now. I highly recommend it. Hey, if you're listening to me, why are you not listening to Heavy Cardboard? If you're a fan of my show, chances are you will like um, what Enda, uh, Edward and Amanda are cooking over there on Heavy Cardboard. And then after that, oh, yay! New... Orleans promos. I still don't understand why Reiner doesn't just collect all of them into one big um, release and he just keeps putting them out. But hey, as long as he keeps putting them out, I'll keep picking them up. More or buildings for Orleans is a good thing in my book. And um, more gameplay for Isle of Sky. Forget about it. That is another must, must have for me. Um, now, unfortunately, I would almost hope that Alexander Fister would use his whole, hey, let's bring narrative, um, story-driven campaign play into Isle of Sky. He didn't do that. Fair enough. Maybe that's next. Who knows? The guy seems to love putting story into Euros, and I love experiencing them. But Isle of Sky is already a phenomenal game. And um, more stuff, more tiles, more gameplay, more objectives, more, more, more. How do you like it? I like it just fine, thanks. As always, it wouldn't be Essence Field without a new Concordia map to pick up. This one is Egypt and Crete. And this one's particularly exciting. I'm really excited about the Egypt one because it sounds like it has a very new gameplay concept. The fact that the Nile can rise and fall. I don't know how that works. I don't know what that means. But it means the map changes while we play. And that's uh, PDC pretty darn cool. Okay, and finally, um, oh, no, we're not quite done yet. We're almost at the top of must-haves for people. There are going to be, it's interesting, uh, seven years ago, Seven Wonders was released, I believe, at Essence Spiel. And to celebrate the seven-year anniversary, um, the publisher, Repost, is bringing out two little mini expansions, um, uh, one for leaders and one for cities. Not necessary. Seven Wonders is a great game without, but heck, how can you not get... I mean, plus, I just love that. Who cares about the 10-year anniversary? It's all about the 7-year anniversary. And then I guess the 17th? And then the 77th? I don't know. But still, that's pretty cool. And I, I just I like the cheekiness of not sticking to the regular 5- or 10-year anniversary schedule. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, my goods. Escape to Canyon Brook. I would not have thought this in a million years. Last year when I was raving about how awesome that Revolt in Longsdale was, and it has this story that you get to play through, that story has a sequel! This continues the narrative thread that was introduced in Revolt at Longsdale, and now we have to escape to Canyon Brook. What does that mean for, uh, you know, for all our characters from the original one? I don't know, but I'm definitely going to be picking this up. Andrew Fister, man, you are... You are the bee's knees. Okay, but let's continue on. Our last two. These ones are going to be more traditional, big box, full expansions. First of all, we've got Lorenzo Il Magnifico, Houses 
of Renaissance. Not Houses of the Renaissance, but just Houses of Renaissance. Okay, fair enough. Lorenzo the Magnifico was a great, great, great dice worker placement game, Jen. I absolutely loved it. Unfortunately, we had to house rule it a little bit because it didn't quite... We thought we weren't keen on how it scaled for two players. I don't know if this expansion is going to address that, but apparently 48 new cards, 20 new leaders, 30 special tokens, the ability to add a fifth player, not that we'll ever do that, but still, a lot of new stuff for what is already a phenomenal game. But hey, folks, let's talk about now, number one, an even better game, another big box, um, the com- uh, Companions of Marco Polo, or the Gefferten des Marco Polo. It's a big box expansion for Marco Polo. Yay! Yay, yay, yay. Um, the original designers are back. Uh, apparently, you get to do a lot more stuff. Oh, wait, oh. No, 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 no. Uh, in English, it's going to be called The Agents of Venice. All right. Fair enough. Uh, because I believe it adds traveling companions, hence the original title. Um, the... Uh, the the Gefferten des Marco Polo. That's a new thing it adds. But it also adds, like a, I guess, I believe, it's like a new little miniature board or something like that that gives you more stuff you can do in Venice before you hit the Silk Road. So that sounds like big, big changes to um, a phenomenal game. And I can't wait, and neither can everybody else, because 606 people have flagged that as must-have, which is a big step up from 12 where we started. So that's it, folks. Sorry, I totally lost track of how many. It certainly wasn't 40, but there's a lot of cool expansion goodness at Essen. And now, hold on, we'll be right back, and I'll have some suggestions for games you might want to demo. Okay, everybody. Final stretch time. Let's talk about games to demo. <clears throat> oh my goodness! Wow. Uh, and you know, I always feel ba- bad. I feel kind of bad doing this one because I mean, I'm looking on BoardGameGeek. There's over a hundred games here, and I- I'd like to give a shout out to every single one of them because you, you got to put yourself in the shoes of these folks. You know, they- they've worked so long and hard on their baby, and they've got into the best situation they can. They've traveled who knows how far to get here. They've spent who knows how much money to be able to set up. Um, And they're just here trying to show their game and generate some groundswell of support and enthusiasm and and all that. And uh, it's so easy just to walk around by to look at the new coolest hotness, but there's so many cool things. Um, And unfortunately, I mean, I I, gosh, I, I can't, I can't shout out to all of them. I just don't know what all of them are. So I'm just gonna. And unfortunately, ironically, of course, the ones that jump out at me are the big, cool, fancy ones. Uh, often is not from publishers I already know, and they don't need the help. They don't need the shout out. But still, you know, the heart wants what heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. And so I'm just gonna walk you through the the ones that um, grabbed me about twenty or so. And uh, but. I strongly recommend you folks, you know, don't be beholden to me. You know, look for those little out-of-the-way corners. Find those people who are just trying to show their baby to the world. And who knows, maybe you'll find something really great. But let's get going on demos. Starting with, this is an interesting one, Mistfall, Chronicles of the Frost. This is from NSKN. It is their latest game in the Mistfall universe. And I should say... 
Jen and I have already played this. They've sent me a prototype because it's going to start on Kickstarter in November. And so I'll be trying to get a run-through done in time for that. Although being in Essen will make that difficult. But Jen and I, we have played it. And we both liked it a lot. It is a competitive fantasy race deck builder. Where um, your deck is full of all the cool actions you can do. But every card has a core action on the top. And then a bonus action you can do to become even more powerful on the bottom. But you have to spend resources like your health and whatnot, to push yourself harder to get to do the, the double th- uh, actions. And um, the world you're exploring just kind of builds up out of cards, the same way all the Mistfall games have done so far. And players get a series of objectives that they're trying to do that tell a little story, and uh, they level up quite a bit along the way. We were really impressed. We enjoyed this quite a bit. So check it out. Plus, if you check it out, you'll be over at NSKN, so you can say hi to Jen. Um, then we've got Overbooked. I don't know anything about this, but it looks like, from one of the pictures, it looks like the box itself is used. This is a game where players are trying to arrange passengers to be seated most efficiently on an airline, on, on, on a plane. And it looks like the box is the plane itself, which, i got to be honest, I just always like it whenever they find ways to bring the box into the gameplay so it feels more like we're stuffing them into a sausage, a big metal um, tube. Uh, so, uh, and plus the art looks really nice. Uh, maybe it'll be good. Maybe it won't. But like I said, that box gimmick really jumped out at me. Then you've got dice settlers. Why did I mark this? Oh, it's because it's, uh, well, actually it's another game from NSKN, but, uh, more interestingly, it's from David Churchy. I was just mentioning him earlier. He is definitely becoming a designer to watch. So, and this is a bit of a departure for him. Well, actually, everything he does is a departure. He does big, heavy worker placement. He does a real-time co-op. He does a party game. And now this is a light dice-chucking sieve-building game. I like light dice-chucking sieve-building games. So, will his be good? Well, we'll find out in Dice Settlers. Um, and again, that's at the NSKN booth. If you want to say hi to Jen. Let's see. Moving right along, there is... Oh, what was the next one? Oh, Arrival Realms, which is an interesting one. Apparently, they've actually... Uh, the publishers actually contacted me to see if I could do a video, but we haven't figured out getting it sent out or anything like that. Apparently, this started out as a re-implementation of Fantastica. It's set in the same world. But, uh, you know, it was just like re, uh, you know, kind of like a Fantastica too. But over development, it kind of became its own separate thing, still set in the same universe, but apparently very different gameplay. Um, you know, not necessarily the deck builder that it was before. So I'm very interested in that. I mean, Fantastica, we really like, really like the presentation, like everything about it. So I'm definitely interested in what's coming up next. This next one, I remember mentioning this is a game to demo at last year's Essen. I don't know if it actually made it or not, but it's Kung Fu Panda, the board game. And why am I interested in that? I'll be honest. I like Kung Fu Panda movies. They're very entertaining. Jack Black is a very charismatic actor. But what's really interesting is this is another light Yahtzee-style push-your-luck dice game, but it's cooperative. They, that's not how these things normally go. They're always competitive. So I'm really interested in a cooperative one. So that's what pulls me in. And then after that, there's Morn Quest. This is a cooperative fantasy adventure game, which apparently is based on a series of novels, 
I think, or at least a novel. Uh, it's a cooperative board game. I don't know much about it other than the fact that the miniatures for this look really, really cool. Did I mention how shallow I am? Yeah, good art will draw me in every time. And so that's why I'm kind of curious about Mornquest. Uh, then, oh, there's Monsterlands. Now, as it happens, I've already done a run-through for that. So if you can't make it over there, you can watch my run-through to get an idea of what it feels like. But I'll be honest, I'm being mercenary. I'm throwing it in here because, hey... If you go check out the uh, demo for this, you'll be at the booth you need to be at to buy some of Jen's glass monsters. Because they are not being sold by Jen, they're being sold elsewhere. You can check out our Jen's S in 2017 plans video that just went up the other day. We talked a bit more about this specifically, but... Um, it's a game you could go check out. It's a dice worker placement game with really nice art and all that. But it's made even nicer because Jen's glass components are part of the game and you can buy them at the show. Next up, oh, we've got Dawn of Peacemakers. Now, I was just talking about Mr. Sammy Lasco or Laxo earlier as the other industry uh, renaissance man who does his own art and does his own gameplay and comes up with the good games. This is his first big box game. It is a very interesting cooperative game where that that it's it's a it's a war game it's a skirmish battleground game where one army is taking on another army and you know they can get um, bunkered hunkered down in towers to increase their defense or if they try to go through water they're um, you know they're open to being attacked by others and different units have different strengths and weaknesses and they all move around and try to wipe each other out so it sounds like. Why would I care about this? Why would I care about a war game? Um, you know, uh, even if it is full of cute anthropomorphized characters, because it's set in the same universe as Dale of Merchants, um, why would I want to play that? Because here's the thing: in this game, players do not control the armies. Players control the advisors to the armies who travel around the board while the armies are fighting each other and try to get them to stop. That is super cool. Hence the name, Dawn of the Peacemakers. We are the peacemakers. We're trying to bring peace and stop the armies from fighting. Really, really cool idea. Uh, in fact, I've got a prototype of it uh, because it's going to go on Kickstarter in November. I'm hoping I get a chance to play it and get a run-through, but I might not get to it in November. Uh, all I know is I, I like the look at it. It, it. It's got really cool campaign story stuff that drives you through. Um, I really like Sammy's art. I like the universe it's in, and I like the concept of this, where we bring peace, not war. We stop the war. Come on, folks. Tell me that is not a really cool idea. So that might be something you want to demo. Dawn of Peacemakers. Then we've got... Oh, I don't know how to pronounce this at all. It is the spiritual sequel to Zolkin, the Mayan calendar. It is Teohuacan City of the Gods. I didn't pronounce that right at all. You can check out the show notes. Now, it is from one of the designers of uh, Zolkin the Mind Calendar. And it's weird. Originally, this was listed as being a re-implementation of Zolkin, but that's not the case. It's a sequel. It's a new dice-driven game set in the same universe... Um, as Zulkin the Mayan calendar. But now all the gameplay is dice-driven worker placement. And, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize this, but I'm looking at it. It's at NSKN Games. So, hey, you know what, folks? If you want to demo a lot of upcoming games, apparently there's a lot of them at NSKN. And while you're there, this is totally coincident. I honestly did not need to do this when I was marking the ones that were interesting to me. But they all happen to be surrounding Jen. So you can go hang out with Jen and get, um, check out her glass while checking out 
Tio Hihalkin City of I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I think everybody's gonna call it City of God. So that's probably gonna be its real name. Um, but anyway, moving on. Okay, one that has nothing to do with Jen is Space Race, the card game, Intercosmos. Uh, this is another one that I just got this in the mail the other day. This is the first expansion for Space Race, the card game. I talked about that earlier in this very podcast. It adds a bunch of new stuff, all based on real historical people, places, times, events, etc. The core game is great. I'm looking forward to this. Again, this is probably something that I won't demo at the show because Jen and I will play it when we get back to be ready for the Kickstarter campaign. But we like Space Race. Hey, it'll be interesting to see how is the game growing and evolving. And then next up, oh my gosh. Uh, by the way, did I mention once again, I have ordered all of these in order of what the, um, the people of Essen, the, the Denzines of Board Game Geek, have decided is most interesting. So we're about two-thirds through, and we get to the second edition of Endeavor. Folks, I have a heartbreaking announcement to make. At Essen this year, I am selling my first edition copy of Endeavor. Jen, I have enjoyed it quite a bit. I respect the heck out of it. We've loved it. But it's time to move on to make room on my shelf for Endeavor 2nd Edition. I don't know what's changing. I really do hope there's some more interesting setup variability instead of always having the same tech tree every time. If they do that... I will be ecstatic. And if they ratify the two-player variant rules that have been made available over the years to turn uh, Endeavor into an official two-player game, color me excited. Endeavor is already a phenomenal game. And I love the fact that the developer got the rights for it back um, and has decided to revisit it and make it everything they always wanted to be and add new stuff they've learned. Really, really exciting uh, for Endeavor 2nd Edition. And you can demo it now or next week. Railways of Nippon. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely interested in this because, well, I'm, I'm interested in picking it up. And apparently you can't pick it up. You can just play it. But it would be good to know if it's worth getting. Does, it, does having a Japanese map really give me that much that my British map, my Europe map, my Mexico map, my Eastern U.S. map, my Western U.S. map, my... Um, I think I've got a couple more. Do I really need another map? What is new with this? Well, I'm definitely interested because Hisashi Hiyashi worked on it. I've talked about him. I've run through many of his games. He's a really sharp guy. So I think this would be a good thing to check out. Even if you don't demo it, just go over and find out what's new here. Sweet. But, and then if you love um, Railways of the World, hey, you can sit down and play a game. Um, you'll have a great time because it's an amazing game. After this, oh, why is this only a demo? I want this to be something I can buy. Um, U-Boot, the board game, or U-Boot. Um, you know, it's, uh, basically, this is, my understanding, a real-time cooperative submarine driving simulation uh, set in World War II that has an app that drives a good deal of the game. So, that's very, very cool. Now, a lot of people are immediately going to say, well, I've got Captain Sonar. Why do I need this? I'll tell you why. Because Captain Sonar is not a very good two-player game, people! I want to work with Jen to do my best under real-time stresses um, to run a submarine with just Jen. And we can do it because they've got an app that plays the other time. Make no mistake, 
I'm sure someday I'll get to play Captain Sonar, and I'm sure it's awesome getting to play against another human team. But you know what? For those of us who only have humans, thank you for bringing an app in so we can still have a battle of wits against that other enemy sub out there and um, and all that. So very, very interested in this. Um, I've been wanting to play this for a long, long time. So it is high, high, high on my list. And hey, it's high on this list here as well. Then we've got Steamrollers. Now, strictly speaking, this would not be high on my list because I've already played it. I've got a prototype of this, and I've already done a run-through because it's on Kickstarter, and it's a great, great game. But if you're still thinking about whether you want to back it, you can go on ahead and take a demo of it while you're at the show. And the same thing is true for Tiny Epic Defenders The Dark War, which is also on Kickstarter right now. I've already done a talk-through telling everything that's new. And man, what is I mean, this pushes Tiny Epic Defenders to an 11, yo. So go check it out at the Gamelin booth. After that, people are even more excited for Batman the board game. And I have to admit, I'm excited for this too because it is a cooperative miniature skirmish game set in the Batman. One player is Batman, one player gets to be Catwoman, one player gets to be Nightwing. I guess somebody could be Robin, too, if they want. But one of the cool new Robins. Um, or I'm not quite sure all, you know, going up against Two-Face and um, uh, the Joker and Clayface and Poison Ivy. And I don't know all who's in the game. But I'd be a bit hesitant about this game in general except for the fact that this has taken the cooperative gameplay that was introduced uh, last year, in, or maybe it was the year before, in Conan, the, the cooperative board game, which was phenomenal by all accounts. I haven't played it yet, but I've heard nothing but great, great things about it. That it was a really smart Euro approach to uh, tactical skirmish uh, combat like, say, a Gloomhaven. Different type of game, but still Euro-driven instead of Ameritrash-driven. And now they've taken that same play, gameplay and put Batman all over it. Oh, yeah. That's something to check out, definitely. Then you've got Dice Hospital. I've already done a run-through for it, so strictly speaking, you don't need to. But hey, my run-through was with some really outdated prototypes. There's a lot of different stuff, a lot of different tiles, a lot of different special powers you didn't get to see in my run-through, so you might still want to learn more about Dice Hospital and play a few rounds. Then... Oh, another one that I wish I could just buy and bring home with me. There's Networks, the Executives. The first expansion for Networks, which I talked about earlier, is an excellent card drafting game. More cards in a card drafting game? Yes, please. And um, then finally, we're almost done, folks. There is a nice cup of tea. Did I mention earlier how much we love Snowdonia? Well, apparently, as I understand it, this is Tony Boydell's follow-up to Snowdonia. Uh, uses some of the game, the same gameplay, but with a different setting and different approaches to, to the same worker placement type stuff. I guess farming is a big element to the game now, which was certainly not a case in the original one. And, um, you know, Tony is a really rock-solid, world-class designer. Snowdonia's phenomenal. Um, uh, ooh, uh, Guilds of London is amazing. And so, um, and, I mean, the guy is just so lovely and charming and smart. It's worth going to demo this just to get to hang out with Tony for an hour. Uh, so anyway, uh, it's high on my list. It's very, very high on this list. The uh, So apparently a lot of people have the same idea to check out a nice cup of tea. 
And two more, folks. Um, if you're uh, at an Asmo Day booth, you might want to sit down and play one of several different fully playable and finishable demos of Unlock. Um, you know, you can go onto the Unlock website and download these, print them out, and play them yourself. Or if you don't want to jump through all those hoops, go play them at a convention. Have a nice little escape experience with some strangers or with some friends. There are several different ones, uh, including a fantasy one, all kinds of stuff. So, th- and they're just fun to play. Nice, uh, take a break. And the, by the same token, this one's really interesting to me because I don't know quite how this works. There is a demo, you can play a demo, of the next Time Stories expansions, Santo Tomas de Aquino. And I don't think this is going to be a boxed expansion that is going to be available for sale. Uh, According to the description here, it is a prequel to Brotherhood of the Coast, which is one of the next uh, full expansions for Time Stories that's coming out over the next year or so. And so... If you want to get a little taste of what that's going to be about, you can do this. But if you don't play it here, I guess you'll never get to play it. And that's a pretty big deal. That makes this a pretty hot and tempting demo to get in on. This would be high, high on my list. And not surprisingly, then, it's high, high on the lists of other folks who will be at Essen Spiel. So um, that is something. And I think that's not the only one. Was there another one? Let me look. Time Story. I think I maybe just only listed the one. Let's see here. Time Stories. Or maybe, no, maybe there was just only the one that you could demo. But still, yeah, that's my number one thing to demo. That's going to be a lot of people's number one thing to demo. And that's it, folks. Oh, my gosh, I'm done. But now I got to hit... Audacity and start editing all this together and edit together the uh, accompanying top 10 video that you'll be able to find on YouTube. But folks, thanks so much for listening. If you've made it this far, I want to give once more a huge, huge shout out to Eric Martin for all the work he does to make this possible. I mean, he kind of funds a little cottage industry around Gen Con and Origin and Essen every year with everybody using all of his work to generate their own content. Eric, this fist bump is for you. And otherwise, folks, have a very, very nice day. Hopefully, I'll see some of you in Essen next week. Otherwise, um, we'll be back next month with a regular episode, including questions and answers. So, folks, as always... Get those questions in to questions at rotto.com. Otherwise, have a very, very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. <laughs>